still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends And happy Hanukkah to my Jewish brothers and sisters throughout the land And welcome to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through right here On another happy winter day I believe it is officially winter, probably by the... When is it officially winter? Well, you'll know, and that'll be the first question he answers. Here he is, the star of the show. I'm the host, the great Brian Last, the star, Mr. Jim Cornette. Ho, 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 ho. How long you been doing this and you start asking the, the, the other person questions before you have fully and properly introduced them to the podcasting public? You just viol- you broke the fourth wall, Brian. You violated the first rule of broadcasting and spoke to a person who had not been identified. I have violated so many rules of broadcasting, I now wear it as a badge of honor. So that's fine. Well, and, and besides that, you've just been watching too many wrestling programs. When is winter? When does winter begin? Well... <laughs> My God, I would have thought by now we've had so many of these meteorological. So many of those, I'll, yes. I'll rewind. No it. blank. <laughs> meteorological discussions over here. Over here. That. Uh, <laughs> shut up now. I'm trying to explain it. I'm tr- don't you see, Matthew? I'm trying to explain this to you. Winter begins on the day of winter solstice. December 21st. Ah, so I was right. By the time you hear this, it will be winter. Well, some people may be listening to it in February, but it's, but as, By the you time don't even you know hear, where you are winter. right here, right now, as we sit here recording this program, it is not yet winter. So you were erroneous. You, you entered into an erroneous zone right at the top of the program when you claimed it was winter. We got another day. Well, it may not be winter, but it's a cold fucking spring. Well, uh, no, it's not. It's not spring either. It's only spring in Australia, and New Zealand, and whatever else may be down is Tasmania nearby. Nevertheless, <laughs> we're coming back up here to this part of the fucking world. <laughs> Have you got the hiccups now? I'm trying to educate <laughs> you. I'm trying to learn you, and I'll match your cold. What's the temperature up there? You uh, son of a bitch. It's uh, somewhere around like 34. Yeah, well, fuck you. It's colder down here. It's colder in Louisville, Kentucky than it is up there in the wilds of suburban New Jersey or possibly Savodka, New Jersey. Sajin, I don't know what you people drink. But nevertheless, 
here's the fucking problem down here. It's fixing to get a lot. What did you, that, that would just get you. It was a depth charge. Right? No, I, I want to hear what the problem is down there. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what the problem is down here, pal. <laughs> it's fixing to be real cold down here. I got up early this morning as I usually do. And I ventured out in public as I usually don't. I've told you my gimmick is I go to the grocery store now when necessary between seven and eight o'clock in the morning because nobody's there. The, the, the flu-ridden, contagious people have not showed up yet. You zip in. There's no line. You zip in. You do your business. You zip out. But this time of year, because, by the way, December 21st, winter solstice, first day of winter, is also the shortest day of the year, Brian, last. We all know that. We learned that when we were mere children in school. But the daggum deal is, as you get there and it's dark, I, it's off-putting this time of year when you go into a store in the dark and come out in the daylight. That's off-putting. But otherwise than that, I got my stuff done. But I'll have you know, it was 28 degrees when I left the garage this morning, and that was warmer than it was yesterday. And guess what it's going to be on Thursday, Brian Last. The high here in Louisville, Kentucky on Thursday is going to be 49 degrees. You know what the high on Friday is going to be? What's the high going to be, Jim Cornette? Nine. Nine. 40 degree difference in one day. The high will be nine on Friday. Over the weekend, the low is going to get to zero or below, and the wind chill here will be in the teens to 20 below zero. So that's why I ain't leaving the house. I got anything that I needed to get for all of our holiday festivities. And if it's cold enough to freeze a witch's tit all the way through New Year's, I don't have to go out in public off the uh, off the reservation here and or outside. And if you open the door, you goddamn snot will freeze into nose sickles. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, I say. The temperature of a witch's tit. On a normal day, is it excessively hot? Well, no, but I'll tell you what, it's colder than a well digger's ass, which is pretty daggum cold. So is this, so is this open. You have no idea it's <laughs> cold open. <laughs> You have no idea of these facts uh, and figures related to the weather and the environment in which you live in. I know the environment which I live in. The general environment which you live in, I have no idea. You are just you are just batting zero today in terms of trivial pursuit questions. You couldn't even identify the song that I Oh God. <laughs> I, <laughs> what was the name of it again? Singing. Before we went on the air, when you when you said this was going to be a good show and I responded to you and replied to you, you're the king of wishful thinking. And you couldn't identify that. I'll get over you. I know I will. I'll pretend my ship's not sinking. You see, now that I had to go back and hear the song before we yeah. recorded, now I can hear what you're singing before I had no idea what you You were. said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said it was in a movie. What's the name? I said, Google it. Look it up on the Google machine. And it was Go West was the the artist artists. And it was in Pretty Woman. 
And that's what you are today, is the king of wishful thinking. And you could be the pretty woman, and we have lots of questions for you well, this week. <laughs> I do have my girlish figure. Hey, if you've been wishfully thinking that uh, that you're going to get the merchandise that you've ordered from Cornette's Collectibles for Christmas, I guess you probably will be happy, either if you ordered a while back internationally or even recently domestically, because everything through December 15th that has been ordered has been signed and packed up and either shipped by the time you hear this or is about to be shipped. And that's that's as tight a turnaround as we get. Christmas is coming up and it's on a weekend, so you're pretty much out of luck if you ordered after that, but the next mailing will be right after Santa comes down everybody's chimneys and puts everybody's fire out with his big lard ass. And uh, and then we will go from there. And remember, we are closing the store at jimcornette.com from January 1st through the 8th to uh, breathe and restock and take account of ourselves for the new year and plan all the incredible new items that are going to be heard about and talked about and hopefully sold in the new year of 2023 at jimcornette.com. All right, what do you got there, boss? This is your show. I'm just here to entertain. Well, we could talk about a few of the big headlines before we get to the review of SmackDown. I think that's the only thing we had. This is the only thing we watched, right? It was the only thing that was worth watching between uh, the last time we spoke and now. And and it was pretty dadgum good, all things considered. In in you you had a fantastic the wrestling match of the week, which we're going to talk about uh, shortly, and also one of the all time. Did you see the fuck what he just did moments? I don't did I just coin that phrase? I don't know how to describe no. this thing, but we'll talk about it. Um I don't know if money can fly, but top dollar was raining down on people the other day. We'll we'll talk about that later. Well, let's get to a update on a story we've been covering here on the show. A big news story, one that's captivated wrestling fans throughout the land. From TMZ Sports. Former WWE star Mandy Rose, I've made $500,000 on fan time since controversial firing. Uh, There is no actual author of this article listed, so I'll just read what it has. Wrestling star Mandy Rose is no longer getting a WWE check, but she sure as hell is still raking in the dough. Because TMZ Sports is told the former NXT champ has made $500,000 off her sexy content in just one week. I wonder who told them that. <laughs> Mandy was fired Wednesday after posting racy pics on the subscription-based platform FanTime, similar to OnlyFans, something that's a big no-no for the WWE brand. While the firing was controversial, in the eyes of many, It's also done wonders for Rose's business on the platform, with her agent, Malki Kawa, telling... Wait, what? (laughs) Oh, wait. Pump the brakes on that one. Back there, what is her agent's name? And you know, it has it in bold here, and right before I saw it and read it, I'm like, Jim's going to jump all over this. What? I did. I did. It sounded like you were having a stroke. I didn't... Malki Kawa. Can you spell it? M-A-L-K-I. K-A-W-A. Malki Kawa. Well, that's her agent. Okay. And the agent told TMZ Sports the 32-year-old has earned a whopping 500000 from her fan time page since 
she got the axe. <laughs> in fact, Kawa predicts Rose will be the newest self-made millionaire by Christmas. <laughs> Six days away. Before Rose was fired, she competed for WWE on NXT's roster, where she had been the women's NXT champion for over 400 days. Mandy dropped the belt to Roxanne Perez on Tuesday, December 13th, and was released by the company the following day. Rose's content drew the ire of WWE, most likely because, in 2020, Vince McMahon, then CEO and chairman of the wrestling conglomerate, issued a letter to all wrestlers stating that they must terminate using any third-party platforms where they use their name and likeness in ways that are detrimental to the company. Mandy, however, received an outpouring of support. How detrimental is Vince's name and likeness to the company? <laughs> Mandy, however, received an outpouring of support. In put, the up a picture of Vin put up a picture of Vince's face and put up a picture of Mandy's ass and see which one is most detrimental. Hey, you know, I was fast forwarding through SmackDown. One of the parts I didn't stop and watch was, and I, you know, nothing against tribute to the troops, but I don't need to see the montage of previous tributes to the troops. But I was fast forwarding multiple clips of Vince. <laughs> and exactly. I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. But anyway, let me finish this. Mandy, however, received an outpouring of support in the aftermath of her firing with AEW star Soraya offering words of encouragement on social media. $500,000, she'll be a millionaire by Christmas. Ah. Oh, Mandy, well, you came and you made a million dollars by clapping your clam, oh, Mandy. Well, you stuck it to Vince McMahon and all his stockholders, oh, Mandy. Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And you know not you know how many people's heads have just exploded in a variety of industries? Because I don't care whether it wasn't PG rated enough for Disney or not, but there's a lot of professional porn stars going through a lot more trouble, let's say, to make a minute amount of that money, that kind of money. There are professional wrestlers that are goddamn literally on the verge of paralyzation. Is that a word, baby? Is that the funky paralyzation? They're killing themselves and destroying their bodies for a minute portion of that money. There are goddamn bathing suit models that are doing stuff that is barely tamer than what that she Mandy Rose has put out that are doing it for a minute amount of that money. That is, a, 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 that's, a, and a, a, once again, when we said, I, I even said, I think on the last program, well, it'll be great for her business, you know, while it lasts, but if she's off TV and she's not the TV star and has that reach and is a celebrity is just another girl out there and memories fade or whatever it'll it'll fade away but by that point if she's not a complete idiot she'll just say fuck it i'm retiring if you if you make a million dollars in two weeks can't you retire in six or seven i mean if you're a you're not a fucking lunatic so <laughs> it's a good time to get stocks right now the market's down 
So basically, and there's there's no expense that she's going through. She's not hiring a crew. She's not traveling anywhere to post a picture of the tickets, as uh, as the girls used to call them. Make sure the tickets are out. She better ha- she better have a wonderful financial advisor because she's in a ridiculous tax bracket with not a lot of write-offs if she doesn't hurry up and uh, incorporate and things and such of that nature. But she's a, a, a an entrepreneur from an, from sewer to entrepreneur. This brings up something though, that we've talked about part of the greater discussion about women's wrestling and you know the fact that in the ratings it typically has driven off viewers almost every single week we talk about ratings on either show really record low raw ratings look at what's been filling up raw for the most part how much of the fan base is this how much of the fan base are guys that don't even care about the wrestling they just are into the women to the point where they'll pay for softcore porn of these women so that they become millionaires in days well, but hold on here a second, because a minute portion overall, but both of these things can be true. Let's do the math. I think somebody said that she was 20 bucks a month and raised. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about her subscriptions to her service. Now, please don't get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, it was $20 raised at 30 or was 30 and raised at 40. I can't remember. She let's raised go it with 40. 30. Well, let, let's go. Let's go with 30. Let's go with 30 which is what it was but okay do the math help me out if she gets a thousand people a month that's 30,000 so she got 10,000 for 300,000 so that means that somewhere around I don't help me now cuz we're starting to split the infinitives if 15,000 people give her 30 bucks a month that's pretty much half million dollars in in, in the in the course of that week is what I'm so when they signed up for that month so she got 15,000, give or take, people to sign up for a month in that week. That math would work, right? That's not ridiculous because she has or had on NXT, um, what, six or 700,000 people, give or take thereabouts, watching every week, plus the international audience. They have the, you know, the WWE and, and their various orifices, platforms, as they say in the business have a, a global reach so she's got a few million people looking at something or seeing her name or face or whatever on a weekly basis so that's not a, a large number but and she's gotten a ton when, of publicity this past week and she got a ton of publicity and and hold on, i'm gonna make a point on that but then when you when you go from that that's not a ridiculous number to say that okay you can convert fifteen thousand of those into Seeing what all the screaming's about, as they say. And that's the thing is that all the money is going to her or much of the money. I don't know what their platform share thing is on whatever her platform is. But the brunt of the money is going to her. It's not being absorbed by the WWE corporate machine. Everything goes into a pot and then the talent is paid whatever the talent gets paid. It's She's eliminated... The middleman, there's probably a line there somewhere too, but we won't go back in the gutter. And that's that's the thing is for 
And this is something that's new because she couldn't have done this before. In the old days, what, Xerox some candid photography and send it out as a newsletter. So this is a new way of doing things. But this is kind of, again, a small but dedicated number of people now can move shit like this to make money for individuals in the business or small groups. We talked about AEW being a crowdfunding thing at first. This was that devoted subsection of the overall wrestling viewer pot that say, you know what? They fucked this girl around. There's Vince is out paying $20 million for the illegal paralegals and and, and they're still an evil empire, and now that they're, they're taking advantage of the the workers, and so I'm going to send Mandy Rose thirty dollars and see what the screaming's all about, as they say, and that could go on for a while, but then sooner or later, like you know AEW or most modern wrestling, she's going to have to give them a little more. She's going to have to cross that line a little more to oh golly, to keep them. It's sort of like the equivalent of doing a dive in a match or whatever. But but yeah, when the money can go to, or the people believe it's going to, their favorite wrestler or a wrestler that's been downtrodden by the evil empire, whether it's in the form of trying to support AEW, even though technically that family business is wealthier than the other family business, it's the same kind of thing, don't you think? Yes and no. Overall, I do think it's part of that whole crowdfunding thing, but there's a difference between wanting to support content and wanting to support brands and buy merch and watch a show or buy a ticket and paying for sexual content. That's the difference. People aren't going because she's making witty videos. Well, maybe here's here's the thing. Maybe... At some point, there would be a market if they just got all the guys and girls together and just shot fuck flicks. Well, that's, just had them- <laughs> that's actually the sad reality of it. If all these wrestlers wanted to go make more money, they should just go make porn for skeevy wrestling fans. But, well, here's the thing, though. No, I'm suggesting you put it on pay-per-view because they, they all ought to be in the ring together. Get the 30 best-looking fucking people on the roster. And fuck a mania. Hopefully there'll be an equal number of fucking women as men, but you never know about this type of thing. Are you talking about and fuckamania? I'm talking about fuckamania. A thousand dollars on pay per view if you can get a million people to fucking <laughs> oh, buy come it. Come on, you can't. That's ridiculous. They're, 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 get them all in the fucking ring. No pun intended, but that would be what it would be. Well, here we are, right at fucking ringside, ready to get in the fucking ring, and they all get in the ring and start fucking. And the last one to come is the winner. It could be the the Royal fucking Rumble. Hey, serious question to get away from fuckamania. But the, but think and the about Royal the Rumble of fucking or whatever. And then everybody that's in it can retire like Mandy Rose in the next six weeks. Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you. If you are a woman who gets involved in wrestling and you actually take it seriously, you love it the way we love it. You want it to be that. You wish you can get women's wrestling to that point, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, there are women in wrestling doing this. Is it hard to not do that if you know in a couple of weeks you'll be a millionaire versus, you know, let's say making low six figures for 
several years and maybe selling some merch and maybe one day you can get to be a millionaire. Well, hold on, cowboy. For one thing, the way you said doing this, again, I have not seen, as Dennis Condry said so plainly one time when asked if, about his knowledge of an affair between one person and another person, I have never seen the dick in the pussy. And that's why I've yet Why to do you sound like Cosby when you say that? <laughs> I've never seen the dick in but the pudding. Um, but, but again, Mandy Rose, so far I've not seen, you know, what was that One Night in China, the title of that cinematic masterpiece or whatever. I haven't seen that from, from old Mandy. And so I don't think he's doing this. I mean, there's... Doing Cinemax, doing early 90s Cinemax stuff for pay. Well, and making more than the fucking people that did early 90s Cinemax made. Um, yeah, that's true. If she's making that much money uh, for doing what she's doing, I think she'd be crazy not to do it. Now, having said that, there was a line in a Seinfeld episode here not long ago. Somebody asked Jerry, he said, if you were a woman, would you want to go out with this guy or whatever? He said, if I was a woman, I'd be down at the docks waiting for the Seventh Fleet to come in. Um, You know, it. it since I, since I grew up in a whole different fucking time of cost and dollar value and et cetera, if somebody told me, well, you can make a million dollars in the next two weeks just fucking on video, well, holy shit, give me that deal. And she don't, and she doesn't, so. And she's not getting that. She's getting, we'll give you a million dollars in a few weeks. Just show us your ass. Yes. So I'm saying you have to be completely insane. So instead of saying like doing this, it's more like, how do I fucking get that job? Well, that's what I'm saying. Isn't that going to become a problem where you can use being a wrestler and most of these women who get on TV are not very good at it, at least in AEW. They're not very polished by the time they get on TV. I can get some TV time and then I can go build a fan base and go sell them pictures of my ass. Well, I'm not sure any of the women in AEW, no matter what they look like, need to be uh, banking on something like this. Uh, but you understand what I'm they, saying. They better stick to their day job. The but, actual but, general yeah, point. But, uh, then I think that the WWE is going to have to start. And then they can't just do it for the women. So they're going to have to do it for the men, too. So they're going to have to come up with some type of clear delineation of how much skin they can show or the acts or activities they can be involved in, in the outside the WWE or just in their, you know, whatever the fuck. And then they're going to have to figure out, well, goddamn, since they're almost wearing nothing on our TV show, how do we quantify the less or more that they're allowed to wear <laughs> if they get on Twitch or whatever the fuck this shit is? I oh, my God. Oh. And then, and that's, and let's face it, there are most of the women want to, like most of the guys these days, want to get in wrestling so they can get in reality television or go on to make major motion pictures and sitcoms. So I wouldn't be surprised if after three or four years they say, well, fuck yeah, why am I letting these fucking 
assholes try to jump over the top rope and land on me and with varying degrees of success, or I'll just go jack off on fucking camera for a, three months. What the fuck? I say again. Well, it'll be interesting to see if there are any copycats in the days ahead, but Jim, while I'm on stories on TMZ Sports, is another wrestling-related story, it turns out, here. <laughs> now, me, wait a minute. This is not the one you're thinking of. No? No, I think, uh, All right. I think we'll wait a little bit for that one. Okay. The headline, Hacksaw Jim Duggan detains home intruder at gunpoint <laughs> using 44 caliber pistol. Hacksaw Jim Duggan has had his fair shares of battles inside and outside the ring, but perhaps none scarier than when the WWE legend recently had to ward off an intruder in his South Carolina home. 68-year-old Duggan told the story in an interview with Wrestling Inc., saying someone broke into his South Carolina home around 6.45 p.m. on Thursday, December 8th. Jim says he took the man, who was in his mid-20s, down to the ground, and then held the guy at gunpoint using a 44 caliber pistol. Jim's wife, Deborah, was also home at the time of the horrifying incident. As if the guy breaking in wasn't scary enough, Jim and Deborah heard other people in the neighborhood yelling, which made them fear more danger was on the way. The intruder reportedly knocked on multiple doors, seeking refuge from a separate legal matter before ultimately entering Duggan's home through an unlocked front door as a last resort. Thank God we didn't shoot him, the Hall of Famer said. Well, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to so basically this guy's already running from somebody else and trying to get away by getting in somebody else's house and people are in the neighborhood are yelling, hey, what's this fucking guy doing? So that he had apparently caused a big stir before he got there. Go ahead. Thank God we didn't shoot him, the WWE Hall of Famer said, who declined to press charges on the intruder. On Saturday, Jim, who previously battled prostate cancer, commended the Kershaw County Sheriff's Department in South Carolina for responding and apprehending the intruder. Quote, we would like to thank the, Ker <laughs> the Kershaw County Sheriff's Department for their prompt and professional response last week. Thanks to everyone for the concern and well wishes. Hey, they better be glad either either Jimbo was in a good mood or just, you know, he's aged more gracefully than he used to be or whatever, or they would have been thanking the Kershaw Police Department for rescuing this fucking guy from Hacksaw. I'm surprised. He better be thankful he used the gun. He hadn't held the gun on him and, and just used some of those big fucking feet. Everyone always talks about how great Jim Duggan was in Mid-South Wrestling, that if you only saw him in WWE, you have to see him in Mid-South. Well, yeah, it's not even the same thing. But how bad was he in Mid-South Wrestling? <laughs> I guarantee you he's had, they said it must have been one of the scariest times. Duggan was a heel in Mid-South before they switched him babyface. So, and he was in Homa and Laranja and fucking Tulsa. And part of the Rat Pack and the whole nine yards and blah, blah, blah. So he had some scarier times in the buildings. And I guarantee you, because I was there, he had a few more major skirmishes outside the ring while he was a babyface than this probably was. This guy, like I said, was lucky. As a matter of fact, he, the guy's lucky. Deborah wasn't fucking cranky. Do you remember one of the TVs they did? Oh, God, when... Duggan was working the deal with DiBiase, and then they, they kept having the tuxedo matches and the sharp-dressed man matches. 
And I think it was that because Duggan had his girlfriend with him. He's in the white tux and she's dressed up. And he said, and my girl Punchy here, that's Deborah. They're still married. She would have killed this fucking guy. But he had bigger fucking skirmishes at the lighthouse in, or the fight house in Alexandria than this. But um, that's, again, people don't understand the difference in presentation with some guys. And I know Hacksaw made more money as yo in the, you know, WWF working for Vince. It was ho, not yo. Yo, ho. What I'm yo. Right. Yo, well, Caster's got me now. Caster's <laughs> got me goddamn brainwashed. Ho. And the tube. And I was I was with Jim uh a few years ago at a fan fest, and he had his guy go out and get to Home Depot and get these just tube of not even tube fours, because that would be too heavy, but these pieces of wood and just cut them down into two foot sections and autographed them and sold them for 40 bucks. Oh, you know, the hacksaw dug in two before he fucking great. And he made a ton of money with that gimmick, but in mid South wrestling, the baby face hacksaw, Jim Duggan was the perfect baby face for that territory. Top guy. And he, maybe not always the top guy because you needed you needed either the champion like Magnum TA, the good-looking kid, the white meat baby face. We used to call Duggan the kick-ass baby face type. And he was perfect when JYD was the top baby face because they were completely different people. And they obviously had completely different gimmicks, completely different styles. And they could coexist and still, you know, and when they were a team, it was incredible. Not so much for their opponents. But it was incredible at the box office every once in a while. And, but just it, not only his work and it, but his promos and his demeanor, as Finkel would say, and his attitude and the way that he could talk to people and come off so real because he was just being himself. He was just being himself and it was just completely fucking turned up. And God, those people fucking loved him. But, but yes, he was known for. You know, if anybody got out of line, either in the ring or out of the ring, he was known for beeling people for fucking distance and accuracy across crowded rooms. With all the attempts at replacing the junkyard dog with various African-American wrestlers, do you think Watts should have just focused on Duggan? In hindsight, yes, because I see why he was doing it. Because he didn't want... Duggan was already over and Duggan was already involved in main events. He didn't want to have the same guy just maybe, you know, do a little something different with him or put the belt on him or whatever. He wanted to try to fill a hole that he perceived that he had, that he suddenly had and that he did have without really monkeying with a guy that was already successful over on the other side. And and involved in different things. And because remember at the time, he really had three top baby faces because you had JYD, who was established. You had Duggan, who had switched baby face. Uh, what in 83, was it? It was 83. Eight, and and he had gotten established by 84 when when dog left. And then you also had. Actually, four because Magnum T.A. and Terry Taylor were both 
at various points filling the good-looking, traditional, babyface, North American champion role through 84 and 85. So he had that. He was just trying to fill a hole rather than... But it ended up in the you know latter stages of the company, he went with Duggan anyway because Duggan was the most popular guy. Do you think, looking in hindsight now, should they have kept Butch Reed and Buddy together? Or was it the right move to turn Butch Reed babyface right there? Because um, you were still there when that happened. Yeah, well, because, it, boy, you forget how many... Uh, it was Master G, and they tried... They didn't try Snowman till the year after. Yeah, Master G was first, and um, Sonny King was already there Sonny when that King happened. Sonny King was there, and they tried... And, and they even tried a little bit with Brickhouse. Brickhouse Brown they tried, too. But... um. Uh, yeah, I think that was probably maybe the worst part because those guys came in, didn't get over, but it didn't matter because they it, they hadn't been over to begin with, so we lost nothing. But with Butch, I think he and Buddy especially were so good, and Butch was such a good heel. Maybe again, if if Watts had just not been fixated on we've got to have a black baby face, you know, we're going to lose that segment of the audience. Butch, it wasn't like Butch was old as a heel at that point. It had been fucking, he was still doing great. You know, the interesting thing to think about, the what if, is what happens to the crowds in New Orleans if JYD stays? Because there's no guarantee they ever return to where they were. There's no guarantee they stay where they are. So what do you think happens if JYD stays and you know, that event doesn't rattle Mid-South Wrestling for the remainder of, you know, for the remainder of its existence, but at least the remainder of it right. before. Do you think it made a giant difference in New Orleans, or had the damage already been done in a few different ways with JYD in New Orleans? Um, well, in a few different ways. Uh, you talked about that, uh, who was it, Mike Mills? And, uh, and some other people from that area have done interviews talking about that it was starting to be known that dog had a problem. He was in the bad neighborhood in new Orleans on a regular basis and, and he couldn't hide. Yeah. Professor Ricardo Coleman was on six Oh five super podcast and he, That's grew up, right. he grew up in the projects. So he remembers, you know, when dog would be there, the buzz was all around. And that was a lot of the people that were going to one of the arenas in new Orleans. Cause there were various different places with various different crowds. Yeah. And the downtown auditorium was the the big one for Dog, and that's where they'd had the tremendous business when he first got hot and got in the the birds and DiBiase turning heel and the whole nine yards. By the time we got there in '84, that's the one town. I mean, everything was down at that point, but that's the one town that it seemed because they were still running it weekly on Monday nights at the downtown building. They hadn't gone to the UNO Lakefront Arena yet, and they weren't going to St. Bernard anymore. So it was really downtown in the Dome for the first bit there. And the downtown building, I was kind of disappointed in because I wasn't seeing, you know, that it was dangerous, but I wasn't seeing the fucking big houses. It wasn't a big payoff in the territory anymore because Dog had cooled off. So... You know, and then also you saw by the Superdome match, Dog just wasn't in, he he didn't have it in the ring anymore because of his conditioning and however long he'd been staying up and whatever the fuck. 
So it may have been that New Orleans wasn't going to end up doing well for the rest of the year either, just because. And and then the the knee lift from wrestling too when they turned him heel. And I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, <laughs> and Doc just kind of fucking shivered and. And and the it looked it was the only shitty knee lift Mr. Wrestling 2 ever gave. And it was pretty much a lot of it was dog the way he took it. And that's not the only time he did that kind of bump. It's one of the weird things in yeah. his run where he would just do like a a tree falling. You know, that was his bump. Yeah. And and so nobody bought that. So and that's the thing, is later on that year, the dome we we peaked with the the first dome in 84 that was 23 some thousand people it was a 166 thousand dollar house or 107 i'm sorry it was 100 and, uh, 167 but anyway that was the big one the next one was about the same thing or close and then it started dropping because that's when dog left and at the same time, the downtown auditorium houses, as I recall, started pretty much going down to the point where they started going more to the UNO Lakefront Arena, which that started doing better than I remember one specifically, a $47,000 house there, uh, that was better than anything we had done at the downtown auditorium financially. And it was a whole different crowd. It was people who didn't want to go downtown anymore, but now they would come out there. So the the New Orleans changed and the bigger houses were at the lakefront arena and then the dome, you know, kind of petered on out by the end of the year to where it just did a hundred thousand dollars on Thanksgiving. And that was the scaffold match. We did like $5,000 difference in Houston at Sam Houston Coliseum where we were at every two weeks and the dome, which was the fourth dome that year, $5,000 difference in the house for the same main event. So New Orleans really, you know, and it never, it never picked back up. And that was the first place that Scott Munz noticed about the problem when he called Watts, what, a year and a half later and said, well, I think we're, we're fixing to be fucked. The, all the escort services in New Orleans have closed down. And Watts is like, what the fuck? Get your own pussy. And he said, no, you don't understand. If you can't get a hooker in New Orleans, there's no money here. And he was right. Well, I guess we'll transition to the next scandalous story from TMZ Sports. I was about to say, you can't really do a sponsor transition off out-of-business hookers, can no, you? No, you can't. <laughs> but again, from TMZ Sports, they're covering the wrestling beat this week. I'm not going to read this whole article, and if you really want, we could play some audio, maybe. I think if if we do, it has to be from the last like two minutes or whatever. There's a six minute video clip out there. We'll talk about it. But if we play, it's got to be from the last part. The headline Velveteen Dream Arrest Video Wrestler Berated Cop Over Miranda Rights. Quote, You fucked up. <laughs> now, this is from when he was arrested on August 20th where he, uh, Patrick Clark, bit and punched a gym employee following an altercation at a fitness facility in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, he's had more problems at spas and fitness facilities than Vince has. But we, I, this arrest was news. We talked about it in August, as you said. And th this headline popped up 
what, 36 hours ago, I said, what again? But it is from the the same thing, but it's it's the police body camera footage and video and audio of this thing. And again, I mean, it, it, when you read the account of the arrest before and we made, you know, a few jokes about it, but you didn't, I mean, there's always room for interpretation when you're reading a written account of something that happened. But I don't think that anybody can now dispute that this guy has some type of issue going on somehow that he probably needs to talk to somebody about or something. I don't know. Because even if you have an altercation with somebody and and the police are called and once you're in the back seat, at that point, if you're not smart enough to just shut the fuck, you've pled your case. Once you get in the back seat, how many times have you seen on cops in, in 37 seasons, Brian? They go, oh, you know what? Fuck it. We have made a drastic mistake here. You have made us with your sterling dissertation on the events has made us totally see the light. And we're let us get you out of them handcuffs and pull you right out of that back. Here, we've gone three blocks. We're going to turn around. We're going to drop you back where we pick you up. How, when does that ever happen? Never. And how much good does it do you when these video, when you are screaming, I'm a WWE wrestler. When these videos go out in the world, how much good does it do you to see you, for the world to see you, screaming at the top of your lungs like a banshee at the cop that they fucked up over and over because you didn't read me my Miranda rights? As I said before, if you want, we have some audio we could play. Why don't we just play a little bit of He's already in the car. and he, Folks, we'll recap it for you. They've got him outside the the health club or facility. He's trying to explain. (laughs) Okay, Vince. Held the health. Well, it's a health facility of some description. He's trying to. He explains to the cop that he doesn't know what in the world that he's being arrested for. He has no idea what he's done. He he's gone to that facility and he's he met a couple of gentlemen that were just fine and he had a wonderful time. And then this other guy came up and he just had all kind of problems and he doesn't know why that he's being arrested and he's handcuffed, cuffed and stuffed, as they used to say, put in the back seat. And uh, on the way to the, as a matter of fact, on the way, the cop turns the radio up because this guy will not shut the fuck up screaming at him. So the cop turns the radio up and a couple of times he says, I'm not talking to you. Why are you not talking to me at the top of his lungs? So jump in any time there, Brian. I was not read my Miranda rights. Never read my Miranda Well, as you can hear right now, there's a lot of radio being played. He's trying to drown the dream out. Let me get to when he's getting out of the car. Hold on. Read my Miranda rights, sir. Oh! 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 No, 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 no. No, he did not. Where my Miranda rights, sir? My Miranda rights, I did not get rid of my Miranda rights. Come on, step out now. I did not get rid of my Miranda rights. I did not get rid of my Miranda rights. 
Then I can read my Miranda rights. And then I can read my Miranda rights. Walk over this. I can read my Miranda rights. Why'd you put your hands in handcuffs in front of you? I can read my Miranda Why'd you put the handcuffs in front of you? put them there in front of you. No, I put them behind you. Hold on, I didn't even pick up on that the first time I watched it. While he was in the back seat, this guy had squirmed the, his cuffs, which you can do if you're limber, uh, like this uh, this trained athlete. He's cuffed behind his back, but he got his handcuffs and his arms under his ass and pulled his legs through, and he's handcuffed in the front when they pull him out of the back seat. That's what I always imagined I would do if I was in that situation. It's amazing someone actually did it. It's not easy. It ain't easy. Most people can't do it. I've tried. All on camera. I did not get rid of my Miranda rights. I did not get rid of my Miranda rights. Yeah, it's all on camera. I did not get rid of my Miranda rights. Make sure you let them know stand, that too. Stand right here. Face I did, not, I did not get no my Miranda Face rights. You didn't let me know my Miranda rights. Face the glass. Stay right there. Did you tell me my Miranda rights, sir? This is going to trial. Did you tell me my Miranda rights? No, you did not. You fucked up. You fucked up, baby. You fucked up, baby. You fucked up, baby. That's Okay, that's, you know what? Even if you have a valid argument, when you start calling the police officer baby, baby? that's when you may lose it. Well, I'm, you know, I'm thinking that maybe he's still got this cop, is still thinking twice about should I take it? Because he's standing in the back of the police station now. They're about to open the glass door and let him pass through into the decontamination chamber, like on the Jupiter 2. And he's still doing this. By the way, I don't remember. Was he read his Miranda rights? I think he was read his Miranda rights way back before the fucking video started because they already had him in the cuffs at that point. But regardless... Oh, sorry. Well, I've just said, but regardless, is this is this going to be good when they play this in court to show the argumentative nature of their client or their, uh, the other attorney's client is clearly not in a good mental state when he was... To picked up and taken off the streets to not be a danger to himself and others. Now go ahead. How'd you fucked up the Miranda rights? How'd you fucked up the Miranda rights, sir? What are you, a rookie? What are you, a rookie? Oh, we got a rookie on deck. We got a rookie on deck. We got a rookie on deck, baby. We got a rookie on deck. We got a rookie on deck. He didn't tell me my Miranda rights. He did not tell me my Miranda rights. All right, well, there's uh, the tail end of it. Woo, mercy! Does this guy ever wrestle again? Miranda rights, baby. Oh, you know... He can't use the name Velveteen Dream. If he ever gets a chance to make a comeback, should he use the name Miranda rights? I think he should. I think he should. (laughs) And maybe if he has to, so he can trademark it, he could spell it W-R-I-T-E-S or whatever, or Z. But yeah, Miranda rights. That's what he's going to be known as from now on. Because he ain't going to be the Velveteen Dream no more. I mean, that that horse has left the barn, cowboy. Or the health facility or wherever that horse was. Um, no, you. but you, you just asked me a question. I asked you a few weeks ago, or one of these shows or whatever, and you saw some cretinous humanoid somewhere will book this person, you know, just for some... Oh, yeah, Teddy Hart. Well, there you go. That was the... The person that we were talking about, a cretinous humanoid, would book. Somebody will book him somewhere, probably if he wants to be. But who knows? Maybe he's gone on to a a career of crusading for people who are not properly Mirandized. Can you say he'll be out there with with Johnny Cochran? And and if if it doesn't fit, you must quit. 
or if they don't read you your rights, then you must fight. If he didn't bite, say goodnight. If he did. <laughs> Let's, uh, let me scroll back in the audio and hear what he was like in the car a little bit. Hold on. Your arms down low so that sir, that's or, not, you, sir. or you can turn and sit sideways against Can the I call my lawyer? I need my lawyer. I need L- my lawyer, sir. Listen to me. Yes, sir. Okay, I apologize. when you, you get a chance later, you get a chance later to call your attorney. Can I, can I grab my phone, sir, please? All, all that will be coming with us. All that will be coming with us. Please, sir, I need my phone. All that will be coming with us. I mean, typically they can't give someone who's, a, who's in the back of a police car their cell phone, right? No, no. It's, it's, it, they take all the belongings, but you're not allowed to have things that you can. Well, I mean, there may be a laser beam on one of these new iPhone 27s he could fucking just Give the goddamn cop a lobotomy from the back seat. Come with us. Please, sir, please. Give me sir. his bag. Can I send the, the little bag? Bro, I need my... Bro, please, please, please. I didn't do anything wrong. What are you talking about? I didn't do anything wrong. I get in bag in there. This is illegal. This is illegal, <laughs> sir. This is illegal. This is illegal, sir. Sir, can you tell me what I did wrong? Uh, we told you. It was a battery. What uh, was the battery? The battery, you, you had a fight with him, you bit him. Um, the- <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just the I, I can't believe he delivered that line straight. You had a fight, you bit him. I, you I couldn't. Fight, you it was. It wasn't battery. It was bittery. <laughs> The other thing is, sir, there's no other thing. I didn't can I finish? Where's my lawyer? I need my lawyer. I'm suing. I'm suing, sir. Where's my lawyer? If you don't give me a lawyer, I'm suing. Where's my lawyer? He was here a minute ago. By the way, he may have been an NXT superstar. No idea how the legal system works. Where's my lawyer? I'm suing. Who are you suing? (laughs) Also, where's my lawyer? Like he was here a minute ago. (laughs) Where's my lawyer? he was right behind that bush. I need him now. Bring him to me. Okay. I'm suing. This is bullshit. You're going to the jail. That's, That's where you're going. Morning, bro. Yeah, it Are is. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? For what? <laughs> no, I am not talking to you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Why is that? Because you're just, you're just rambling on. No, I'm not talking to you. It sure is. Oh, there it is. More audio from the Velveteen Dreams. Well, the former Velveteen Dream, now a Velveteen Nightmare, is <laughs> a rest video. TMZ all but, over. You know, and that's that's the thing is now the I bet his his name will light the office in Stamford up every time because they every time they see TMZ WWE wrestler and for the next 10 years or ex WWE wrestler former WWE they'll be tied to this fucking fruitcake some way or shape or form when every time he commits public batshittedness and and there so no I don't hold out any hope that he's on Triple H's bring back list do you think things would be better for the Velveteen Dream or the former Velveteen Dream? Miranda writes, if he just got a good night's sleep. You know, a, a, as a matter of fact, not only more good night's sleep, but just actually more time that he's not leaving his home would probably help the former Velveteen Dream. And I, actually, that could be said of all of us. Folks, if you want to not only take advantage of the best night's sleep that you can ever have, but also... Just curl up in your safe, warm, happy place where the outside world and all the tragedies and 
turmoil and crime and pestilence can't bother you or find you, there's no better place to do that, either one of those things, than on one of the Helix Sleep mattresses. One of our favorite sponsors, we have been talking about them endlessly. I've been talking about the fact that I haven't slept better in my adult life than I do now. Not only because I keep regular hours and don't binge sleep and then deprive myself of sleep on the road like I used to, but also because I lay my my weary head down and that of my family. I entrust my I entrust my dog, Harley Quinn, to the people at Helix. My most precious little baby, because it's the best, it's the softest, it's the most comfortable or firmest, if you require. It's the most comfortable. It's the warmest, it's the happiest place on earth. And it can be for you too. They got 14 unique mattresses. They've got luxury models. They got mattresses for big and tall sleepers. They got a mattress just for kids. It's a cute little thing. I would say with it, you could wrap the kids up in it and just. It's a wonderful mattress leave for them kids alone that they by have. themselves. But Brian won't let me. But you can leave them in this thing for, for days at a time. They'll be happy. On this thing, yes. On it or in it, you can stick it. You hollow some of it out. They burrow right in like little moles, and they they stick their heads out. And they're they're so you can put deer antlers on their heads at this time of year and make them festive. But their little grubby little hands and feet can't be grabbing things or kicking at things that way. But anyway, nevertheless, there is no better way to test out a mattress than to sleep on it in your very own home or wherever you happen to be squatting at this point and helix knows that that's why they give you a hundred night risk-free trial if you are in a home or an apartment or a place that'll let you stay for a hundred nights have the helix mattress delivered to you and then sleep on it for a hundred nights and decide whether you like it if you don't they'll give you your money back you're crazy if you don't for heaven's sake if it and if somebody else owns the place that you're sleeping in uh, then make sure you take the Helix mattress with the, with you when you leave. But anyway, all you got to do is go to helixsleep.com. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com and fill out the Helix sleep quiz. They'll match you with the model mattress that they have that most indicates your needs. Soft, medium, firm. If you like sleep on your side, back, stomach. Some people, as we know, like to sleep with their heads stuck in the sand. Most of them are Republicans. But right now, helixsleep.com slash JCE, if you use that code word, then they're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. So you can not only get $200 off one of these fantastic mattresses, but you can also get potentially two free pillows to lay your weary head down and the weary head down of someone that you love. Or if it's someone you hate, they'll go to sleep quicker and then you can flip it over and smother them with it. Go to helixsleep.com slash JCE, up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. For these fantastic, I'm telling you, the chiropractors, they recommend it. It's number one by GQ and Wired Magazine. It seems like it'd be number one with Playboy magazine, a mattress. Well, it's not really a thing anymore, Playboy magazine. I forgot. That's right. It can't even be a thing anymore. Well, if you see some woman walking down the street with one of these tied to their back, you can tell it's the best mattress and they're going for the best quality surface. 
And it's recommended, as I said, by multiple chiropractors, doctors of sleep medicine, chiropodists, and leading cobblers around the country. HelixSleep.com slash JCE. That's right, Helix Sleep. And of course, Jim, there's nothing like a good night's sleep except maybe a kick straight to the face. (laughs) Well, if you want to go to sleep, there's a couple of different ways. You can lay down on the mattress or you can get kicked straight in the fucking face. And apparently, uh, over at AEW, uh, Marina Schaefer's opponent, what's the young lady... The other one, the the one, the the kicky, not the kicker. What's the young lady's name in the blue in the clip that we saw? I don't know because I'm not familiar with who she is. I'll find out. Well, her face is going to match her tights. Um, so this has been going around on Twitter, and I don't know which of their YouTube programs or whatever it may have been on, but it basically, Marina Schaefer kicks this girl coming off the rope straight in the face for real, and knocks her goofy and i i only saw the clip i don't know if she actually got to her feet after that or if that was it and they just pinned her whatever but the the clip of the kick is going around on twitter here is what i've been able to ascertain from watching that thing it was like eight seconds about 15 times because i oh oh god the young woman's name is jasmine allure the young woman's jasmine allure was 23 years old Okay, obviously what they were trying to do, (laughs) Marina Schaefer is a mixed martial artist and, you know, her whole body's a lethal weapon. She's going to throw the big right-legged roundhouse kick and Jasmine Allure is coming off the rope. She's already been shot there, is hitting the ropes, and she's going to run and she's going to duck this kick. That's what they were trying to do. And, Brian, you asked me to take a look at it, see exactly where... (laughs) Where the line was crossed into botched territory, Marina was mostly at fault, but Jasmine must share some of the blame. But since she's obviously green, even though she's wearing blue and her face is now black, um, when she's coming off the road, they apparently didn't walk through this at full speed. Maybe they just talked about, maybe they just called it and didn't walk through it at all. With the way that the modern wrestlers prepare and go through their match step by step, I would think that they had talked about it. If they got in the ring, maybe when they were all fresh and maybe when nobody was nervous and maybe they just walked through it at half speed, like I've seen it, come here, I'll throw this kick and you duck, okay, and then you turn around, they're not actually hitting the ropes, whatever the fuck. This wasn't a good idea for a couple reasons. Jasmine Allure seems to be a tall young lady. At least uh, uh, significantly taller from what it looked like than Marina Schaefer. And when she's coming off the ropes and she ducks, if you look, she ducked and kept going forward about where if Marina was going to throw a clothesline that she could have got over that over Jasmine Allure with a clothesline with the right arm, but the it, she still was only at as she was bent over, she was only at the level of Marina's shoulder. She's five foot two. Is is that all? Which one, Marina or the other girl? It says that Jasmine Allure is five two, and according to public 
you know, Wikipedia and shit. Wait a minute. Hold on here. Marina Schaefer is, Marina Shafir is five foot seven. I'm going back to the goddamn clip here because I'm, let me look at this goddamn angle again. Where are they at? Okay. Oh, boy. Again, the, uh, all right. She does look All taller. right. Yeah. Well, you're right. Apparently, Jasmine Allure is not taller than Marina Schaefer. She just thought that if she just bent her head over without actually bending at the waist, that was, that was enough. But nevertheless... She's about the level of Marina Schaefer's shoulder as she's ducked down and she's still coming forward. And Marina Schaefer has misread the time that it's going to take her to get back off those ropes. And she starts the kick way too late. And she is coming up as the girl is running by her and just fucking kicks her right in the face. So it was supposed to be a duck. Jasmine barely ducked. Marina started the kick late and came up right underneath her face and fucking put her down for however long she may have been down. So, but the girl coming off the ropes is green. I, d I don't know if it was a real good idea from what I'm seeing again, and I'll look at it again. How far did Marina... Well... She may could have got her leg up that high if it hadn't been blocked by Jasmine Allure's face. But uh, she should have started <laughs> earlier on that, on that journey, and she might have cleared the, the young lady. Who, again, might ought to think about bending over a little lower for a girl who's five foot six or whatever, going to fucking sweep kick over her head. I don't know. Good, good wishes to all of them at the holidays. And again, you can see more action like that on AEW YouTube. But Jim, I have sent you something that I was just reminded of watching this Marina Shafir shoot kick. Can you click on the link I just sent you of, I want to get your memories of this previous time when Chris Champion kicked Rick Steiner oh right god. in the face. Oh my god, okay, hold on. Well, I'm, I'm back to where, yes, I will, oh my god, this is just one of those gifts. But, uh. It plays in a loop. It, it plays it a loop. Basically, there was a tag, a tag team match player involving. <laughs> Watching this in a loop. It looks so crazy. <laughs> Is Kevin Sullivan and Rick Steiner against Jimmy Garvin and Chris Champion. And that's when Chris Champion was doing the martial arts type of gimmick. And he would do the. The crane kick, the that's the karate kid thing where he stands up, he stood on his right foot with his left foot up in the air and his hands out like a fucking whooping crane. And then he would kick with his other foot and he had already nailed a couple of job guys with this thing. And of course they couldn't say anything. And then in this one, Steiner has just taken a bump and he's getting up. And Chris is all set for this fucking kick. And he just kicked Steiner right up under the fucking chin as hard as he could. And Steiner, he took a Steiner bump anyway. He took a complete backflip over. And the very next thing is champion pulls him up and shoots him off. And they do a reverse. And Steiner just fucking clotheslines him and drops him flatter than a fucking pancake. 
And it was like a seven second fight. And I mean, shot, shotty, shoot, shot him into the ropes too. You could tell when champions going, he's got no choice, but to come back at least five feet. See, that's what a lot of people fail to realize. If a motherfucker like Rick Steiner or Scott Steiner or a Dr. Death or one of the road warriors, if they shot you into the ropes and you maintained your footing till you got there, you were going to, unless you grabbed it, you were coming four or five feet if they wanted you to. There was no way around it because they would fucking put some muscle behind it. And that's when Steiner wanted to make a point, and he just fucking, and, and Champion's feet go straight up in the air and they stay there. Like, what the fuck just happened? How could you work that? The crane kick. Well, he thought in his mind that he was going to just brush right up around your goozle pipe, I guess, and not get the chin, and no. And I think this was the only time he actually ended up using it on one of the top guys that said, nah, all right, fuck you. Can you imagine of all the guys that do it to Rick Steiner? I, I, I'm trying to explain Chris Champion's mindset. Uh, he was a... An interest of an interesting cat, as they say. Did he have any chance with that Sean Royal? <sighs> Sean was the more level-headed, and actually the guy that I think he wasn't the best athlete, but he was the best worker. Chris Champion had a nice body, and he was a good athlete, but his work was just it. It wasn't there, and I don't know that it was going to get a lot better because he was kind of awkward in a variety of issues well jim whether it's marina shafir kicking someone in the face or chris champion kicking rick steiner in the face <laughs> or someone just trying to take flight and go over the top rope there were botches galore all over the place this week in wrestling and Woo! a lot of people have wanted to hear your thoughts on various things from smackdown and <laughs> you and i both watched this show well you know and actually i hate that the the notoriety that this episode of SmackDown got was for top dollar, you know, in his attempt at flight when it was actually because of the match that they had was the best SmackDown I've seen. And I don't know how long, just cause I enjoyed some, the one match so much, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. You want to start at the beginning, save, save top dollar for where he came in. <laughs> when he came in for landing. Let's not do Edmund Morris style. Let's start at the beginning. Well, the first 17 minutes of SmackDown was Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox against Dakota Kai and EO Sky. And so I didn't have a lot of optimism at that point. And then there was 10 minutes of commercials and plugs and clips and packages. And then I was even less optimistic. And then... Sammy and the Usos were in the back. They were all getting along. Sammy's all dressed up. Solo and Roman are on the way. Are they going to make Sammy Zayn an official Uso tonight? You know, so now we've got a little intrigue going through the show to the closing segment. And one of the Usos, I, I, I believe it was Jimmy, was like, I don't know about this now that Kevin Owens has popped up. So there's the, there's the MacGuffin. Will Owens block Zane from becoming an Uso? I'm like, okay, things may be looking up. But finally, 35 minutes into the show, 
That's all that we've had that I just talked about. 35 minutes into the show, L.A. Knight's in the ring, cutting a promo. I'm saying, okay, we, we this guy can talk. He's got all kinds of personality, and it's about Bray Wyatt again. And I'm uh, and he's been attacked and abducted. They kidnapped him, apparently, last week or week before last on one of the shows we didn't really care about. And he hadn't been able to get to Bray Wyatt. But at the same time, L.A. Knight's cutting a promo on him. He, I'm not impressed by you. All you've done is dress like a circus freak, talk a lot and never get to the point, and you attack me and then claim that it was Captain Howdy or whatever, Boy Howdy. He's actually he said boy howdy. He's been listening to the program. And that's L.A. Knight can talk his ass off, and this promo may be dooming him to an early grave after he just got back from one step beyond as Max Dupree. So L.A. Knight challenges Bray Wyatt to come down and get stomped on. And here's the spooky lighting and the music and the smoke. So much smoke. So much, it looked like the Freebirds had just pulled up in 1981. And here comes Bray Wyatt, and he talks his way to the ring. And he again says that he hasn't touched L.A. Knight, and he's going to give L.A. Knight one more chance to deliver his message. And, of course, L.A. Knight jumps him when he steps, when Bray Wyatt steps in the ring. And Wyatt just drops down in the corner... He didn't really sell anything. He didn't really take a bump. He just kind of sat down in the corner on his ass and let L.A. Knight wail away, either with kicking him or punching him, whatever. And the only movement was really the camera zooming in and out until more music played. And there was a video on the screen, and it was Boy Howdy said, what have you done over and over? And then want to see something really scary? And during this time, Bray Wyatt is laying on his ass in the corner laughing and not even laughing and covering up, trying not to laugh because it's such a ridiculous thing that he's in the middle in, but he's supposed to be seen laughing. While L.A. Knight has stopped kicking him to yell at him and then starts kicking him again, but Bray Wyatt is not even trying to move away. He's just been cognizant enough to laugh at the whole situation, but he's not even trying to move away, much less sell. And then there's more music and fog, and out comes, not on the screen, but out comes Boy Howdy in the aisleway and tips his fucking hat. And both L.A. Knight and Bray Wyatt just stare at Boy Howdy and nothing happens. And L.A. Knight leaves the ring scared for no reason. And Boy Howdy stands where he was. And Bray Wyatt lays in the corner in the ring. And they laugh over the PA system for almost a full minute. And laugh and laugh. They laugh and laugh and laugh. What was that? I, 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 they were trying to hit a hard out. I don't know. Somebody said, just laugh until we cut to black, go to black. I don't, I, I don't know. All right. Well, you seem dumbfounded. What do you think of Bray Wyatt's return to WWE now a couple months in? This is no, what the fuck? We said we were going to give him a chance because maybe when he was, you did. Well, I actually more people, a lot of people said, Hey, they were saying, Hey, is what they were saying. 
Um, sure. The last time he was here, he was burned alive and he put on a horror movie mask and he was indestructible and you could hit him in the head with a fucking logger's axe and split his skull, but he'd come back next week. But it was all due to Vince. And people have been saying the guy can talk and the guy can work or whatever fuck and he can talk. Problem is he never has yet got to the point. And we haven't seen him wrestle, so we don't know if he can work. And we don't know what the fuck is going on here or give a shit at this point. And it's dragging L.A. Knight down now with him. So I, what do people like about this? What ever happens? How do you pitch it? I don't know. I think we're seeing the pitch on TV. Because how would you have time to go through all this? Well, uh, I, I have nothing to say. I hate Bray Wyatt's stuff. He could talk, except he doesn't say anything. He hasn't had any matches He can yet. work, except he doesn't wrestle. Well, I don't know if he can work either. I'm not, I've never <laughs> been a fan of his in-ring. Other people like it, but this is terrible stuff. But look, just like with Mandy Rose to an extreme over there, when you say, I don't know who likes it, there are people who like things about wrestling that have nothing to do with wrestling. And they don't understand why people just want a professional wrestling product. And those are the people who like this. Those are the people who think this weird, spooky, never-ending, goes-nowhere fucking stuff <laughs> is good TV, but it's bad TV and it's bad wrestling TV. <sighs> and we wanted them to use LA Knight. Look at how they're using them. I'm starting to think he may have been better off as Max Dupree. At least he got to look up his sister's skirt every once in a while when he was laying there while people were kicking his shit out of him. But anyway, the good news is Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman have arrived as we're 45 minutes into the program. But you watched Ricochet versus Gunther for the Intercontinental title. I did because you insisted that well, you said that you really liked it, so I thought that meant I should check it out. And the the people in the building liked it as well. And I thought because of this match, this actually was the best episode of SmackDown I've seen in a while because this was the best match from any company I've seen. Well, MJF and Starks actually in a different way last week because it meant more because it was a main event. It was a heavily advertised thing. It's MJF is the top guy over there now, but for a match, this was better than anything that I've seen in a while. And I will be more than happy to tell you why, but I already feel like you're going, well, what are you, what are you talking about? What was different? So you didn't like it. No, I thought it was good. And I thought, like you said, the crowd was into it. By the end of it, some of the reactions to the near falls were really good. Okay. I thought the you fans believed it. To... The fans thought they were about to see it happen. Yes. And that's the and and again they didn't have to do anything stupid or silly or unbelievable to get there, and that's why I thought you were going to poo poo on it for a minute there. But that was my my worry going in. Gunther, I've said, is always the perfect wrestler in that he always does and says and has matches like what you would think he would do. Right? He doesn't do shit he shouldn't be doing. He doesn't let usually his opponents do shit that shouldn't be in that match. And I'm thinking, okay, can he make this plausible? The size difference is ridiculous, but 
with Ricochet being a a good underneath underdog babyface when he's led. We've said this before. When he's in there with another flipper and they try to do flips, it's just silliness. But he can be led. And if it was anybody else but Gunther, they would have probably tried to feature all this fucking guy's gymnastics and not actually have him sell and fight and get the people with him. And it would have been a flippy match and blah. But this was... I had flashbacks to watch an Ernie Ladd work with Ricky Morton in 1984 in Houston, where Ernie was... He was ready to retire. That was his last year in the ring. His knees were shot. He was hurting. But in Houston and what he meant, he was still going to go. And he got in and did more with Ricky Morton than he had to do for his status at the time. But it was all plausible. It made sense. There was a 12-inch height difference and a 130-pound weight difference. And by the time that Ernie took a bump off a drop kick, the people were standing and fucking screaming. But anyway, nevertheless, they Gunther and Gunther called this, make no mistake about it, because they're the only thing that I saw that I would take any style points away whatsoever is Ricochet is a little tentative because he's not used to this style match when a guy's feeding him his head without having it to be called or these uh, Gunther's over there and Ricochet's wailing on him. You can tell Gunther wants to wants him to take the head a little bit before he does, or he wants him to kick him in the back of the head because he's feeding it or whatever. A little tentative in a couple places, but otherwise, they started out wrestling, and Gunther stayed in control most of the match. I even I wrote down a play-by-play because I wanted to see if they went wrong, and they didn't. Every time that Ricochet would swarm Gunther, Gunther would stagger but not fall, and he would stop ricochet with a one high impact move like a big boot or the chop or whatever and through the first segment which was five minutes gunther was yet to take a bump but still ricochet was in it the idea was that gunther being the more dominant physical bigger guy would control the tempo and what was going on but that ricochet would have flurries fighting back from underneath trying to create space, use his quickness and agility to outsmart the bigger guy, blah, blah, blah. And when Ricochet would fight back from underneath, they came back from a break in a second segment, the people would get with him. But then Gunther would shut him back down with two chops and a body slam. Boom. And then he'd take his time. And he would continue to give hope spots, but never be in danger. He would wrestle like a heel and maul the face, and and fucking be surly in his attitude, and keep the smaller guy fighting back, but never taking over. And that's a key to it. Because again, and you couldn't, this match would work pretty much in a vacuum, but when you've got a guy like Ricochet that they're familiar with, that they want to see, you know, do good, and like you said, that you can get them primed to where they think they're going to see the change, This is the kind of match that gets the people in the arena behind that guy and behind that story and believing they're going to see it so that it comes across better on television because there's a bunch of people screaming for this fucking guy. They're not sitting there on their hands like in most WWE matches. And when when Gunther got the Boston Crab, 
Ricochet was actually able to fight and squirm out of it because he's a smaller guy. He's a little squirmy. And he would fight back and stagger Gunther. And then that's what I was talking about. He was fucking wailing on him and Gunther fed him the head. He got the headlock and Gunther hit the fucking Billy Robinson backbreaker. Fucking brilliant. And a two count and went right back to the Boston Crab and then switched the cross face. He's still working the kid's back. He's trying to slow him down, either the legs or the back. And Ricochet got a rope break. And I wrote down, this is great. And then Gunther manhandles him into a rear naked choke. And that's if you watch Gunther's hand and arm action, when he lays hands on a guy, when he grabs a guy, his hands are so big anyway. But he doesn't just put his hand on somebody expect him to fucking follow him around he grabs up you can hear when he lays his hands on somebody or when he snatches them he's doing it in a working way but at the same time it looks like he's being physical <clears throat> and then he started kicking it up at this point in the match chopped the shit out of ricochet in the corner but then ricochet would duck one and fire back Boom, boom, boom. Had him staggering all over the place. Drop kicked him into the corner. Gunther still is not taking a bump, bump off of Ricochet. And then again, Ricochet goes for the suplex. Gunther turns it into a gourd buster, then hits a big drop kick. Goes for the power bomb. Ricochet turns it into a hurricane rana, takes Gunther over the top rope, and he lands on his feet on the floor off of the apron, and then Ricochet comes off the apron with a drop kick, and Gunther finally takes a bump on the floor. 15 minutes into the match, Ricochet jumps up and fires up, and the people are with it. And then Ricochet hits his springboard moonsault, and Gunther takes another bump, and now they're like, holy shit! And they go, there's their break spot. They're going again to another segment. And they come back. And Ricochet hits another dive to the floor, and Gunther goes down again. But then as Ricochet goes to the top, Gunther catches him and goes up after him and gives him a German suplex off the top rope. Ricochet lands on his feet. He does the backflip over him. That was impressive because it was the counter to a fucking move this huge guy had given him, and Gunther turns around and sells like he's astonished that this could fucking happen. And Ricochet hits a leaping knee lift, but Gunther catches him with the big boot and clothesline, two count, big pop. They're not going through furniture. They're not burying the referee. They're not fucking doing ridiculous things that would require hospitalization. They're doing wrestling moves and getting covers and near falls and people are into it. And Ricochet was selling like he was dead, and Gunther goes for that just big splash off the top. Not a shooting star press, not a spinning, turning triple Lindy. A big splash from a big fucking 260-pound fucking guy. But he eats Ricochet's boot because the quick little kid's more resourceful. And then Ricochet does hook up and get a vertical suplex on this big bastard. And the place blows for a vertical suplex and a two count. And then Ricochet goes to the top. And he is the flippy guy. So he hits the shooting star press. Boom. And it looks like it hurts him too. 
and he covers. One, two, Gunther kicks out. Big pop again. And now Ricochet's going crazy with the chops and the lefts and the rights to Gunther's face, and Gunther's rocked and staggering and drunk-legged. But he's not taking a million bumps. But Ricochet is in control finally. And then Ricochet hits two super kicks, and it staggers him. And he goes for a drop kick, and Gunther chops him down. Bam! Snatches him up and power bombs him. Top spread. One, two. He kicks out. The people are standing on their fucking feet. And Gunther gets pissed, like you would, and throws a fit. He's beating the mat. I can't believe it. And he pulls Ricochet up to his knees, and Ricochet reaches up and slaps the big bastard in the face and drops back down, selling to his knees. He's shot, but he's not going to go down like a fucking dog. And Gunther slaps him back and pulls him up into a big fucking twisting power slam. Boom, one, two, three. What a fucking 26 minutes from the start of the entrances to the finish, and it never got old. I If they'd have had picture in picture on this, instead of all the shitty stuff we don't, I would have watched the picture in picture on this. I loved it. Hold on here one second. Wait a minute. Well, you've always felt that way about Gunther, or Walter, whatever he was at the time. Does this at all change the way you see Ricochet? Well, yeah, yeah, not really, because I've said before, he especially, he'd be a great kid's baby face, and he's a great underdog, he's a great athlete, and he's small, so you've got to use that, and he's got to use that to his advantage rather than detriment, but he gets uh, hung up on the gymnastics when he's in there with somebody that either does the same thing or doesn't know how to call a match like Gunther, then all, that becomes all that it is, is just the flipping and the flipping and the flipping and the contrived flipping. But in this one, they made, Gunther made the people see this guy as a gutsy guy that's going to fight back from underneath and going to slap the big fucker in the face. And that translates more than the flips and the gymnastics. That's for the, shine part of the match that's for the you know blah 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 that's great for television some but to really make the guy important he needs to be put in positions like this where they can care about him feel sorry for him and want to see him overcome adversity because the fucking high wire the trapeze in the circus only goes five or ten minutes this went 26 so you're not against the flips, you're just against them being used in a way that's... It's in a way that's ridiculous, overdone, contrived, choreographed, silly, or more in a more modern wrestling style. But when it's story-based, when it's something that's telling the story of a match, and used right like this, you have no problem if, with it. If he did about one-tenth of the amount of acrobatics he does, and it was always in matches like this that, that counted he would have a career about 10 times as long and be 10 times as over. Because you tune out when the guy just does everything, but when he does shit like this, when it matters, either the fucking backflip off the top or the goddamn hurricane runner where he took the guy over the top rope with him and then hit him with a drop kick, shit like that, 
as the high spots. That's where the name came from. High spots are both supposed to be the high spots of the match, not the steady content of the match. That's when he appeals to everybody, not just the trampoline wrestling fan set. Because everybody does that. But not everybody can have a match like this. And some of the people who want to do that need a trampoline, apparently. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Is that coming up? No, actually, (laughs) there was more. There was more with the bloodline. And folks, and on the experience this week, we're going to talk about Raw because I've determined from reading the recap that I'm just going to sit down when I have time to zip through everything but the bloodline segments, which they intersperse through the three hours trying to get you to watch. But anyway, but uh, Roman and Solo and Heyman and Jimmy Uso were in the back and they were asking Roman what he has planned and Roman wouldn't tell them. And basically, you know, that's where Jimmy said, if, if Roman, if you don't want to make Sammy cause of Owens, it's okay. And Roman tells Paul Heyman to call Adam Pierce. Conveniently, they go to break. And when they come back from break, well, Adam Pierce is, he's a power walker anyway. And he's always, he's Johnny on the spot. You can't, uh, you can't get anything by Adam. So he was there in three minutes. And he comes in the locker room. And I guess they've done the deal where Pierce has fired Bobby Lashley for gross mishandling of a referee. And not an even in a friendly way. So Roman says that he'll get Pierce out of the trouble that he's got himself into with Lashley if Pierce books Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn against Kevin Owens and any partner he so desires, right? And he say, it can even be you, Adam. I think Adam probably passed on that. But the question was asked tonight, and then Roman laughs because they're not going to give away tonight. Well, where? And Heyman jumps in. How about live network TV on December 30th, right here on SmackDown? And Reigns agrees to that. So we know that tag match is going to happen on the last SmackDown of the year. And that was the update on the Bloodline situation. And then we come to the fork in the road. Now, then we come to the three-way tag team number one contender match between the Viking Raiders, the Lucha Suits, and Skid Row. And each of the teams has their female valet, manager, handler, mistress, as you like to say, whatever the case, in their corner. Well, I like to say mistress when it's a mistress. I don't think any of these women have been shown to be mistresses for any Well, you matter. used that term the other day. About a mistress. Well, and, and that hadn't been established. But we nevertheless, we, 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 had, uh, we got Zelina Vega, we got B-Fab, and we've got Val Halla. That's her name, Valerie Halla, from the uh, Poughkeepsie Hallas. They're a big family up there. So I already knew by the time I watched this, because it went viral, it was actually infectious is what it was. I knew what was coming. But even before we got there, I got to be honest with you. Every time that Top Dollar gets in the ring, it's visually fascinating to me for 
whatever perverse reason, I mean, it, it, every time he touches somebody, it looks like he's a wacky waving arm inflatable tube whale. His arms are just flailing and his, and his, the baggy basketball outfit that he wears. And he, he obviously is convinced that things that he is, are, is doing are impressive and that he's over because of the demeanor and the attitude he takes with it and the grandiose it's like he's the rock about to give the people's elbow have you seen this am i imagining this no and i completely agree with you and i'm happy to hear you say this he's utterly fascinating to watch because it's like a guy has no experience in the ring at all and they've just put him out there even though we know he's been trained by them Yes, it's it's like, like I said the you know the basketball dad that you know gets to play with the kids on the weekends, right? And he let me show you how I used to do it and he can't do anything. But he's acting like he's doing everything. And at one Michael Cole said he's lost almost 100 pounds. What the fuck did he start at? By the way, he looked better bigger now that I see him. Well, because he's 100 he has, pounds of weight loss. He's had no discernible physique to the point where I would say he's almost stoop shouldered and there's no arms there. There's no muscle tone. It's a, a, admirable. If he's losing weight, if he, if he was trying to be what he looks like, which is a 40 year old car salesman that tries to play basketball on the playground with the kids on weekends, it's admirable. He's lost a hundred pounds. He's trying to be a pro wrestler. He may have lost the only look that he had that was any good if he was 400 fucking pounds because this but my god again when he he teased the dive a time or two and it was like he looks to the hard camera he knows where the camera is and he knows the motions to make it just again looks ludicrous when he makes them it looks like he's a spongebob squarepants character down at the bottom of the ocean kind of waving in the the sea. So well, anyway. But, but the other thing that you're kind of glossing past is he behaves like this. And B-Fab at ringside, she's got a great look. She's also behaving like this is a big deal. The fans are not reacting to anything he does. They've already no, decided because, that they don't yeah. like him. They don't like Hit Row. They're not interested. And and that's, you know, it's like he's leading, he's conducting an invisible choir with the fans in his head that are cheering for him and anticipating this. So finally, he teased the dive a time or two, and finally, he went for it. And they had contrived the situation where almost everybody in the match, I think maybe everybody in the match, was over on one side of the ring to attempt to be the catchers for this fucking fiasco and he sees he's in the ring all by himself and he looks at the hard camera and gives it the look like oh and he gives some kind of finger sign he should have given the thumbs down i think it was just three fingers down and a thumb up your ass i don't know what the fucking sign was supposed to be and he hits the far ropes and he starts running across the ring And he jumps head first. And Brian, you've seen the guys do Undertaker did this one year at WrestleMania where you do the head first dive and the hands out. It's like Superman taking off out the window and going over the top rope. And you've seen it before where 
a guy will get all the way over the rope and then his feet will hang on the top and that will stop his momentum and he'll go crashing face first to the ground. You've seen that a number of times, right? I have, yeah. Well, this wasn't that. What this was, was this fucking guy did the goddamn George Reeves fucking push off and the Superman jump out the window on the old TV series. And the only part of him that made it over the top rope was his arms, his head, and his chest. His belly caught the top rope. And because he had flown into it with all of his heart and soul, him hitting that top rope with his stomach so fast, immediately snapped him upside down to where his fucking feet flew straight up in the air and his head not just went head first to the apron, but he was spinning at such a rate that his face flew underneath the bottom <laughs> rope. He almost dove over the top rope and ended up back in the ring. I've never, that would be impossible, but he almost did it. So when he came down, his feet are going over now and his head and chest are underneath the bottom rope, which has the luck of fools and whales has turned him over to where he didn't go head first to the floor. It And he just rolls off the apron of the fucking ring on his feet and walks off like he did something. And meanwhile, everybody that was standing there waiting for it they all just fell down anyway. Even he never even touched anybody and they all just crumpled to the ground. I have never I, it was like <laughs> the top rope gave him a big backdrop. I have seen guys use the ropes for moves, but I've never seen the one of the ropes use a guy for a move. <laughs> you know and what? It, and this is one of those and this is one of those cases where WWE production helped because they made it look a lot better than it was. Oh yes, because <laughs> the fan cam footage on Twitter from different angles of it showed just how ridiculous because you couldn't tell from the official TV version how far he was from missing everybody that fell down anyway. You could still I mean there was no way around the fucking flip. But then did you ever see his tweet afterwards, after I told you about it? Well, he blocked me, apparently, at some point, so I didn't well, I'm see blo his I'm tweet. blocked, too, but the fucking websites were actually picking it up, going, look at this, what this guy's saying now. And they would embed it in there, but basically, after this became the talk of the town, so to speak, the topic of conversation amongst polite society, well, old top dollar, I guess he got his feelings hurt. He, you know, he he tweeted out like, you know, thank God, prayer hands or whatever, that uh, I'm okay. My foot gave out. His foot gave out on the jump is what happened. And he, he tweeted a clip to prove that he could do it. He said, here's a clip of me when I was 50 pounds heavier. And apparently it's, I guess, at the Performance Center because he's, I, I assume he's been in the WWE program. He's never wrestled for anybody else. So it had to be at a Performance Center. This wasn't the Performance Center itself. It was like a small rec center or something, a Performance Center show in Florida. It was one or two rows of ringside, that type of thing. 
Everybody's got to learn somewhere. I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying this was not on television. And he tweeted this clip. He said, I'm 50 pounds heavier. Here I am doing. Well, in this case, yes, he's exactly right. He took off running and he dove over the top rope and he cleared that some bitch. And he went straight over the other side and went right in between all the people that were trying to catch him face first to the fucking floor. And that's the, the clip that he tweeted to prove that he could actually do it. So he can prove he got over the rope, but he still had never proved that he can actually hit this fucking thing. In general, is that a bad idea? The whole idea? Well, you saw me botch this, but look, I used to be able to do it. Well, yes. I mean, there's so many bad ideas and things wrong with that wrapped up. The one is that he's doing it anyway. He wants to be cool. You can tell he thinks he's cool already. And he wants to be cooler. A 300-and-whatever-pound guy marked down from 400-and-whatever shouldn't be doing a goddamn dive over the top rope even if he can, unless it's The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I'll go for that. When somebody's getting a seven-figure payoff to do it and somebody's getting a seven-figure payoff to stand underneath it. But this fucking moron for a flat salary and the idiots that we're standing there not knowing he wasn't going to land on him. Here's the goddamn thing again. Sure, yes, some of these uh, Felix over in AEW, he does a lot. Well, no, he falls on his ass and head a lot too. I mean, uh, one of these acrobatic wrestlers may be able to nail this shit every time without hurting themselves or anybody else. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. I can't call that person. I've never been dove on. Nor have I dove upon anyone. I just fucking worked and made money. But I'll tell you what, I've known a lot of smart wrestlers and a lot of successful wrestlers and a lot of wrestlers that made a lot of money. A lot of wrestlers made a lot more money in wrestling business than I have. And I don't know any of them for just every goddamn television match or every time they're in a house show or every time they're anywhere that they would want to stand there at ringside underneath some moron diving off of or over the ropes onto them, whether they were singly standing there or in a fucking group. How many times have we, was that Ridge Holland? He caught a guy on a fucking dive, blew his fucking quad and had surgery and was out for months and months and months. Uh, Same thing happened 20 years ago to goddamn, um, Scott Putsky's son, or Scott Put Ivan Putsky's son, Scott, caught Brian Christopher, blew his fucking leg. We've seen guys land on their heads. We've seen guys give themselves concussions. We've seen guys turn ankles or whatever the fuck, and not the worked turned ankle of the balding buck the other week, but actual injuries. But besides that, what nobody is thinking about, and I'm surprised is not more prevalent, if you're standing there, even if you're in a group of five wrestlers that should be able to catch 300 pounds, you're not catching a 300-pound sack. You're catching, especially this uncoordinated whale-like individual, allegedly going to fly over the top rope. Where are his elbows coming? The top rope's nine feet off the fucking ground. So the guy's going to be coming from 10 feet, whether he's 200 pounds or 250 or 165 or 300, no matter how coordinated he is. He's flipping, he's spinning, 
He's doing a backflip. Where's his knees coming? Where's his elbows coming? Where's the back of his head coming? If a bunch of people are reaching up to catch him and he, and, and he's coming at a high rate of speed and he weighs a couple hundred pounds, where do their elbows go related to my fucking face if I'm behind them? It's stupid for something that everybody does in every fucking match. It's a needless risk for a momentary pop that all it does is look phony and give the trampoline cowboy fans something to fucking clap about for 10 seconds and give them a quiz. Stand at the door at the end of the show as they're all filing out of the arena and say, describe the most impressive flip of the night and who was standing there to catch the guy and see how many can put down all the fucking names. So you just risked your goddamn face and your dental work or potentially fucking blowing a knee or whatever the case to be a miscellaneous extra in a fucking mosh pit to catch some idiot that may or may not be hitting his target. Fuck you. Have you ever seen someone try to, I can't even say it without laughing. Have you ever seen someone before try to dive over the top rope? That side shot from the fan cam showed it. He didn't even leave the ground. I mean, no. I, it wasn't even like a jump. It, you can't even call it a jump. He, like, just... The top, the top rope of the ring is a, in the WWE is approximately five feet off the, off the mat. And he hit it with just the exactly his center of gravity, his belly button area. And he's six foot six. So he was standing on his tippy toes and got three inches of air at best. And actually, that used to be the way that Bill Dundee took his over-the-top rope bump on purpose. Because he was, he was, I've never seen anybody else do it. And he could nail it. It looked fantastic. In that you would throw him and he would just go stomach first into the rope, bend at the waist, handstand off the apron without holding any of the ropes, and go off onto the concrete floor. And that was a fucking great bump. He was taking it on purpose, not by accident. This fucking guy, and the, the rib is, this guy couldn't do this again in a million years. If he tried every day for the rest of his life, he'll never do that again. How much longer do you think the hit row project will be on the air? Boy, unless there's pictures of somebody and goats, um, I think they're already looking for a way to, because they've already shortened everything up. Their matches are as short as they can get. But my guy, I mean, this this was the spectacular botch, but, every, you know, the one kid, what, Ashante, he might be all right, but in between the, the girl just stares and looks out of place and dances around with the long legs. You can tell she does and they tried to have a match with, they booked a match with her a couple weeks ago and didn't actually have it. So that shows where her progress is at. So I, I, this guy bumps like a drunk and a slip and slide is basically what. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Uh, oh, but there's more to the match. Now, wait a minute. We, 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 we got to get to the finish because they got the girls at ringside, so the girls got in and did spots with each other, and it looked like they nearly killed themselves. One came off the turnbuckles to the floor with a hurricane rana that fucking went sideways. I don't know what the fuck. But then finally, the finish was one of the lucha suits was going to run at top dollar, 
and Top Dollar was going to scoop him up for a double-team move where he would scoop him up and hold him in his arms like you were rocking a baby to sleep, and Ashante was going to drop kick the guy while he was up in his arms. He was going to go backwards with him, right? Can you visualize that? Somewhat. Well, they can't. Because apparently, again, as much preparation goes into these things, they had to have to come up with this move. If it was their idea, which I don't know why an agent would say do this, so it had to be their idea. They had to have at least gotten a ring and said, look, I'll pick you up like this and he'll come from here. And when they got to it, it fell the fuck apart. The guy's coming off the ropes at top dollar. Top dollar goes to scoop him up. And when he scoops him up, the guy's momentum is still going. So top dollar almost loses him. He bends over and he's trying to keep him up in his arms, but they almost fell through the fucking ropes on the other side of the ring. The guy in the, in top dollar's arms had to grab the top rope to steady himself. So the top dollar could get under him to pick him up. Well, now Top Dollar has turned around and he's got him up in his arms like the rocking baby. But now Ashante is not on the right side of Dollar to do the drop kick. Dollar. So instead of being in front, and he should have been right in front. Go back and watch the DVR. He should have been right in front of Dollar and jump up and drop kick the guy in the chest. But instead, he's on the right side, 90 degree angle of Dollar. So he just jumped up. And kicked the fucking guy that Dollar was holding wherever he could hit him, which which basically knocked Dollar off balance. And he just fell backwards with the fucking guy. And they said and top dollar sold his their own finish. He was late. He took the bump and Adonis pinned the fucking guy while Dollar is laying there selling their own fucking finish with a look of pain on his face and holding his ribs because it probably hurt him. Oh, God damn it. Oh, we might. I'm about to get the vapors. I'll tell you what. Oh. Whoa. It was a scream. Extended scream. A scream over on SmackDown this past week. Was that the main event? No, no. The main event was the bloodline. That was just the match that probably ran all the people off. The bloodline come to the ring and their from their entrance to the first word spoken was only four minutes this week. It was quicker than normal. They probably, they were running low on time and Roman asked to be acknowledged and then fairly quickly got to it and hugged Sammy and brought the house down. Then he said it was going to be a good night for Sammy, but we got a KO problem, Kevin Owens. And Roman reveals the solution that they mentioned earlier, the tag team match. And Sammy is responding to this. Well, of course, anything you want, you know, but, but uh, you know, it's like, it's not that way at all. And I'm, I'm Kevin Owens, only friend. So he won't be able to get a partner. And then Roman is like, you're his, well, I mean, I used to be his friend. I'm not his friend anymore, but he won't be able to get a partner. And then suddenly, up on the screen, and again, these are the moments this was built for. Every time something pops up on the screen now in every segment, especially in AEW, but even on this show, 
it's generally a letdown or it's generally the fucking guy that they could do the same thing if they were talking to each other or it's just somebody that you don't want to see to begin with. If it was only for moments like this, moments like this, it would actually have much more meaning even still. But up on the screen pops John Cena. And, of course, that gets everybody's attention. He got a text from Kevin Owens. And he did a great promo. And he built the match. And he built the ratings. And the premise is he's had a match on SmackDown every year for the 20 years, you know, that he's been there, except for this year. And if he doesn't beat the end of the year, he'll break his string. So he'll be there December 30th. He knows how he's got all the personality in the world. He's not even half-assed trying, but he knows how to sell the fucking match. He knows how to get the date across. He knows how to build some anticipation. And boom, and that's going to get some talk and, and uh, notoriety. And there you go. And that's the way they go off the air. And so, actually, as a television show, number one, Besides the first, what was it, 45 minutes, we got a great fucking match that shows the kids how it's supposed to be done. Uh, we got uh, one of the, the biggest modern superstar in the business today is going to come back to network TV to fucking give the ratings a nice kick in the ass at the end of the year and further this fucking story with the bloodline. And we got to see one of the most ridiculous sights of the year of this pompous fucking sperm whale being goddamn brought down to fucking earth, literally. So I'd say it's a pretty good goddamn program. What do you think about using Cena like this? Not on a pay-per-view, not a big match, even on Raw, but he'll be on the last SmackDown of the year. I don't know how the ratings traditionally are for that, for Christmas week. That's how they're using Cena for the first time all year. What do you think? Well... Not for a pay. What pay per views are there now? Royal Rumble in January. Well, but at the same time, are I mean, priorities are switching. I'm not saying what pay per views are the Royal Rumble. I'm saying what everybody pays per view on the Peacock, along with viewing seven million other fucking things. It's it's not. This is not the UFC. It's not pro wrestling anymore. It's not the big fight, the big match. We're going to pay $50 to see the two biggest stars in the world fucking collide in this epic fight. It's Fox is paying us more than we're probably getting from Peacock or from this part of Peacock or whatever the fuck. Let's see what we can do for the ratings. And it's also when we can get John Cena. So I, in, in this case, yes. Their rights are going to be renegotiated coming up, as everybody's been talking about, in the next year, year and a half. Uh, this, is, this is what it is now, network television. And I wish they would start treating the rest of SmackDown and, and maybe even goddamn Raw like a pay-per-view or network television or we got to have some stars and we got to have a little more variety and we got to bring some big guns in and we got to have better matches, and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Cena and Owens against Zane and Reigns, see, it just and it almost even makes it. Zane and Reigns. That's going to be a heck of a match because 
Owens and fucking Sammy's dicks are going to be hard for weeks leading into that because they love working with each other more than they love breathing. And Cena doesn't want to embarrass himself. And Roman Reigns is the big dog, so that it's going to be fucking good. And what will the story be coming out of it? So I think they've they've done good for that. They've done good for themselves there. If you had to make a projection, do you think next week's SmackDown will be any good? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I'm doing pretty good with the projections because now you know you got me. You got me, Brian, started on the daily fantasy sports, the whole nine yards. I'm reading up on this. I'm almost ready to get into it because ever since that our friends at Prize Picks came along, it's, it's opened my eyes up to a whole new world because a lot of people think this is some kind of unsavory activity that you engage in with people out behind the pool hall in the alleyway and potentially somebody's wearing a visor but that could be nothing more could be further from the truth ladies and gentlemen because when you go to prizepicks.com or you download their app which i understand is very easy to do if you know how to do the apps well it's just you're entering a world of daily fantasy where and doesn't everybody want a fantasy every day where you can make entries on the player projections and if you select more or less for example, if you think that top dollar is going to fall on his ass more or less than six times in the course of a match, well, you select that, and then boom, and you can win cash and prizes. You can win up to 25 times your money. They've got this highlighted in yellow. On any entry, all you got to do, pick two to six players or participants, because they cover every kind of sport in the world here at Prize Picks. NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, welcome back, Brittany, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, Euro basketball, cricket, and disc golf. Disc golf. And you can make entries within 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. And you, all you do is you just make your picks. And you don't have to play against other people. You just play against fate. You play against karma. You play against, well, you play against all these people doing these things that you're predicting they will or will not do. But as long as they will or will not do them, you'll make money. And right now, you can download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play the daily fantasy sports and first time users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 if you use the promo code JCE. You put in $100, they'll give you $100. If you put in $50, they'll give you $50. Now, somebody somebody from Cleveland last Tuesday tried to put in $100 in 20s that they had made on the color copier. And that does not work, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to get you in big trouble because the people at Prize Picks don't like to do these things, but when you try to stick them with the funny money, sometimes they have to send people out to collect. We don't want to get in that type of situation. It's a real problem when they have to send someone to collect and that person's Blackjack Mulligan, and he's the one making the funny money to begin with. He's the one making the money, and holy mackerel. But you never know about the... But if, as long as you give them real, legitimate United States American currency, they'll match it. And all you got to do is enter that promo code JCE at your sign-up for the instant deposit match. Put in the 100 bucks. They'll give you another 100 
then it's up to you. You can win 25 times your money, or you can be an idiot and lose it all, but these things happen to everybody. Prizepicks.com. Well, Jim, I know you said you'll talk about your thoughts on Raw on the experience this week, but I did want to ask you about one thing. Bronson Reed, who we last saw in NXT, who you thought had something, was, I believe, released by Vince McMahon or during that period of time. He's been with New Japan. He apparently, and I didn't watch it, showed up on Raw last night as the bodyguard slash backup to The Miz. <clears throat> a lot of wrestling fans, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a group of wrestling fans who have a real problem with this, who think this is a major step backwards, going from being someone who potentially could be in the main picture in New Japan at some point to being the Miz's bodyguard. What are your thoughts on that? So he's gone from a lead role in a cage to a walk-on part in a war. He's reversed the Pink Floyd. This is ridiculous that, again, maybe in the old days, maybe 30 years ago, it was, oh, I'll just do my 24 weeks a year in Japan and if I'm Stan Hansen or the Road Warriors or Dr. Death Steve Williams or Terry Gordy or whatever and make 12, Bruiser Brody, did I mention him, 12 or 15 grand a week and that money is better than anything going on in the United States and, and you know, I've got the job here for fucking however long I want it. Now, we're hearing some of these salaries that they're offering and I'm not involved in everybody's contract negotiations but it seems like a main roster spot and we just talked about mandy rose has got to the point where she can make hundreds of thousands of dollars on pictures of her ass but main roster salaries are five hundred thousand dollars six seven hundred thousand dollars or more these days but starting out it seems like that we're hearing reported people turning down offers like that do you think that he was making anywhere near that amount of money, or even if he was making anywhere near that amount of money with New Japan Wrestling these days, right now? Do you think that's the case? I don't think he's making that right now. I don't know what the future would have hold, held, I guess I should say. Would have hold it? Would have hold it for him. No, I don't know what would have happened, but I don't but, think he was uh, making that right now, no. But again, yes, there's something to be said for going doing something that you want to do and being free to pursue your art and your career and whatever. But when it comes down to he's been there, he knows the system. He was let go instead of quitting. Uh, another triple H rectification here of something, he, a guy that he didn't want to see gone probably that was let go by the previous administration. And the most important thing is, a lot of these fans are thinking, oh, it would be so great to go to Japan and wrestle and blah, blah, blah. Does he want to go to Japan however many times they go to Japan a year these days for? Does he want to actually make that that physical trip 20-some hours in a fucking airplane in today's environment and fucking going to a foreign country and being away from your home for fucking days or weeks or however fucking long? and get beat up over there by people that are even fucking stiffer and more reckless than, in a lot of cases and people over here, and then come back and do, and do that for half the amount of money or somewhere less the amount of money, 
than he could to fucking actually be on national television and work what three times a week is what they're working these days, three or four, whatever, maybe, and be used by a guy who wants to bring him back by the biggest wrestling company in the world in his own, it's not his home country, but he ain't Japanese either, but it's a place where he can be on national television and be a star for the big company and a place where he's already been living for however long he's been here. I think somebody said, originally we determined he was from Australia, New Zealand, or someplace down under, I think. Australia, I think. Okay, but nevertheless, again, yes, I'm sure all these fans would love to do that until they did it once or twice and found out, wait a minute, you mean I can stay home and not have to fly fucking 20 hours and, and go through all the things you have to go to when you're on the road in a fucking foreign country? And I could probably get hurt a little less, less wear and tear on the body, and I make twice as much money or what, and be on national TV. Who's the, what? Where are anybody even thinking about this? And it's not like that they've had him there for years and they beat him into powder. We said he was good and he seemed like he was getting over and he had fucking a lot of potential and he could move for a guy that size. That's something Triple H probably would like to utilize. Now, is it the best thing to be hooked up with fucking Miz? Some people in that company think so. Most fans don't. But I'll take that over goddamn one of those, one or two of those fucking trips across the ocean to Japan to get beat up by guys that just want you to stand there and trade chops with them. Well, again, the flight, it's ridiculous. The flight from New Zealand or Australia to Japan may not be as bad as the one from here in America. Well, no, wait a minute. He's been here. He worked for NXT. He's been working for Impact. He didn't just go home to Australia. You I didn't know he was working for me. Impact. I didn't know. He, I, I, I don't know what the hell Jonah? goes on in Impact. Well, nobody else does either, but his name, he's been using the name Jonah. His name was Jonah? I believe that is what his name was. Who was the whale? Well, that was top dollar. <laughs> See, they missed a tag team combination there. <laughs> You really hate this fucking guy. But the point is, back to the, <laughs> the point is this, that guy didn't just go home to Australia and fucking sit and stew. He's still been in the wrestling business from what I understand. That's the problem. You go to Impact and it's like you don't exist. Wrestling purgatory. Look, look that up. Maybe I've got a brain tumor. I don't want to be wrong now. I'll just leave that dangling here. You're probably right. Let me look this up. Jonah Impact. Oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah, so they ain't buying a plane ticket from Australia once every couple of weeks, so yeah, he's, he's around. And by the way, his real name is not even Jonah. How did he get the name Jonah? Well, I guess because he couldn't be fucking... What was he before? Bronson Reed. Okay, well, that's, so Bronson Reed was his name before, and then he switched to Jonah. He should have added the J and the Jameson, and then he at least had an established gimmick. In general, if you are a wrestler right now and you're relatively happy, you may not be making as much money as humanly possible, but you're happy. You're working a schedule, you're working with people, and you're happy. You may not. You're happy, I believe. Well, you may not be on a WrestleMania stage right now, but you're happy. And you get the call, the chance to possibly come back to WWE. Do you think twice because of the rumors of Vince trying to come back? No. No, because 
There have been, there's been rumors that Vince has said he wants to come back. There have not been any rumors of anybody saying they're going to fucking help him. And there's not Bruce. been any rumors of anybody. Well, why do you think Bruce is no, still there? I, hold, hold on, cowboy. I what, what's he going to, maybe he can unlock the window at Titan tower and, or sneak him up the back stairs or, you know, put him on the roof garden and let him have a goddamn laptop up there where nobody will see him. But, no, Bruce does not have the power to do it. Well, Vince wants to come back, so, you know, here he is. He may be a a an information mole, but no, nobody nobody wants Vince back, unfortunately, for Vince, apparently. Nobody is, is being quoted as saying that's a good idea or is looking for that to happen or is wishing for it to happen, except for Vince, apparently. And that could be sad. And and we've talked about this. What happens? He's like, I've said before, there's tons of Trump in him. Vince is an articulate, intelligent Trump in a lot of ways. If he decides he wants to come back, it's going to be brutal. And a lot of feelings are going to be hurt, but it would be either... I think at this point, Vince and a mass resignation or just Vince just be mad. Well, again, there's no mass resignation right now, and he's still the majority owner with the majority voting power. So it's still his company as well as the public's. Yes, but if he, if he was to try to come back publicly and that would, it damaged the, the stock went down a dollar just when they reported he told people he wanted to come back. You know, they, they can't, I don't see how they can make that announcement. I don't see how they can spin that. If they did, it would just be disastrous if they did. I wonder if there's anything that prohibits Vince from starting his own wrestling company while he's still the majority shareholder, contractually, <sighs> as an executive of this public company. Like Walt Disney was able to do a lot of things while his brother ran the company. You know, He kind of funded the theme parks on his own through the deal he made with ABC Television and various other things. He did, Disneyland was developed outside of the Walt Disney Company. Yeah. So is there a chance well, it, that Vince could do that? What, I, we, without knowing what the paperwork is like that, well, it, it, that's an interesting question because he's had to resign from the board. Uh, just a, If he's just a stockholder, even the majority stockholder, would there be any documents that he would have had to have signed or would have signed that live past him resigning as an active chairman of the board or employee of the company or whatever that would prohibit him from investing in anything else he wants to invest in. He made it clear that he was using, allegedly, he made it clear, whether it's true or not, we don't know, that he was funding and using his own money for the XFL when he was going to do that because they didn't want it to hurt the stock price of the WWE. But he can still do, he can invest, one would think, in whatever the fuck he wants to. And he, he, would, he would have never have done it before and nobody would have ever considered him doing it because he would have been running opposition against himself. But now that technically would be the case, but maybe not the way he'd feel about it personally. Because it is the world of wrestling, and sadly, bad deeds and bad things largely go unpunished in the general scheme of things in society. 
Only good deeds are punished. Only good deeds are punished. Bad deeds do go unpunished. So Vince McMahon, if he waits this out a little bit longer, and apparently that's what he thinks the problem was, that he listened to people and he left too early and he didn't fight. And he did this and he said, you know what? I'm either going to sell some of my shares and use that money or I'm going to keep all my shares and just get financing and I'll hire away Kevin Dunn and I'll hire away Bruce. (laughs) I'm serious. And I'll get some people that I want to work with and we'll start our own thing, whether it's USA Network or Fox or a network they don't have a current relationship with. Do you think anyone would take that call, take that meeting? Vince McMahon is starting up a new wrestling company has serious financing, and he's looking for a television home. Well, I don't know that USA or Fox would take the call because of the existing agreements they have, and also the publicity that Vince got wouldn't do their programs any good. They would probably be happier with the arrangement the way it is. But a secondary network or broadcasting outlet, whatever, who maybe had not been interested in wrestling before just because they didn't want minor league or secondary or whatever, but Vince's name would... Vince Vince and Shane. Vince and Shane. Oh. Vince and Shane. Vince's name. And Shane, obviously, you know would be a personality that everybody would know, but Vince's name would get some, I would think, attention amongst cable outlets or networks that maybe aren't doing as well as they think they might because that would get a ton of attention, that would get a ton of publicity. It may sway someone to be interested in, in not in wrestling, but in Vince McMahon's wrestling. So that, you know, if... <laughs> And then it becomes just, does he have time at this point at 77 years old? Does he have time to put it together and get it out there? And did, would he want to do He's got the energy, one would think, because he never wants to do anything else but work. But that it'd get a lot of attention from a lot of people that wouldn't touch a wrestling program from anybody else just because of who he is. Does he still have the same energy for work? He's now had a good amount of time where he hasn't been the Vince McMahon of old, whether or not he's on the phone with people or not, he hasn't been able to function the way he always did. So it's a different pace. It's a different way of working. Do you think he could ever go back, especially at his age, that he could ever go back to what he was just a few years ago? I guarantee you he believes he can, and he wouldn't be rumored to be saying this if he wouldn't think, well, you know, golly, I've got my... Milk of magnesia at 9 a.m., and then there's the colon cleansing. No, he's he's still in the shape he was fucking six or nine months ago for good or bad, um, and he was running the WWE. And you know, he has almost the perfect defense, too, and not that there's any defense for what he's alleged to have done, but when they say, how could people support this with all these accusations against you, he could just say, well, you support WWE. I'm still the majority shareholder there. Yeah. <laughs> if you support that, why not support this? He should claim it was the evil Mr. McMahon. It wasn't Vince McMahon because Vince McMahon's penis is not nearly as long as the picture that he showed the person of the evil Mr. McMahon's penis. It worked for Hulk. 
He won that case. What do you think of the theory that Vince McMahon may be Uncle Howdy? Boy, wouldn't that be something? If only Bruce and Kevin Dunn knew and the fucking hat comes off and it's Vince. And it was me. It was me all along. But he's he's got a few extra wrinkles if that's uh, Captain Howdy. Uncle Howdy. Uncle Howdy, Captain Boy Howdy. I don't know. Howdy. Howdy. It's going to be Minnie Pearl. It's going to be Minnie Pearl is really under that mask. All right. Well, let's see if this next question is a pearl. This one sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Adam. In the late 90s, Billy Gunn was pound for pound the strongest man in WWE, with pound for pound being in quotes there. What? Years later, Cesaro was, again, quote, pound for pound the strongest man in WWE. I understand this description is a way to make the undersized, yet still jacked guys, a little push. I actually love the description. The and I don't know. Understand what this guy's is this English? Not really. He wants to know what does pound for pound mean. Do you like saying it? Who is the first pound for pound guy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I've I've known a few guys to get pounded. Um. No, first of all, I didn't actually hear that Billy Gunn was the strongest guy pound for pound. That's an odd thing in the late 90s. Maybe JR may have said that. I don't know whatever I've heard. Who was the other example he gave? Um, Cesaro. Uh, Cesaro. Claudio. Uh, Even though he's a big fella, too. He's about 250 or whatever. But it's, it's an old boxing phrase, pound for pound. In other words, it's always been traditionally the same thing in boxing and in wrestling since the late 1800s that the heavyweights drew most of the money. But it's also true, especially in boxing, that the lighter weight classes were where the guys were faster and more scientific. And it comes up in wrestling also, especially in terms of, you know, the, the, Going back to the 30s and 40s when there were light heavyweight territories, whether it be out in Missouri or Tennessee for a while, it featured the light heavyweights, the smaller guys with more action and potentially more scientific. I think everybody, and then that's why Ali was so revered because he was a full-fledged heavyweight but still was incredibly quick, blah, blah, blah. But the phrase became a thing in boxing and then transferred to wrestling that so-and-so in a lighter weight category may be pound for pound the best fighter in the sport. That was a way to market that guy. He can't knock you out like fucking, you know, Joe Lewis or Rocky Marciano can, but he's a better scientific fighter. Pound for pound, he's got more boxing talent it was a phrase that got popular have i explained it enough so i can continue on i think so yeah okay so then that transfers over into wrestling but now since and not only the meaning has somewhat been or the origination of the term has somewhat been lost and obscured or changed around like a lot of terms are announcers fans everybody just kind of willy-nilly says it now It doesn't really make any sense 
to say pound for pound, either Billy Gunn or Claudio are, especially Claudio is the strongest guy in AEW. You could just say Claudio may be the strongest guy in AEW because he weighs more pounds than almost anybody else on the roster. Now, Billy Gunn in the 90s in the WWF, well, there was the big show and there was the Undertaker, but still Billy was 275 and jacked up. You would you would apply that more to honestly a guy like Chris Candido, who was a hell of a deadlifter and who was a bench presser and strong as a bull, even though he was five seven or and two thirty or two twenty-five or whatever. Um, that you you would say pound for pound, he's the strongest guy because he is smaller than the rest of the pack and stronger than most of them. That happens every once in a while. But that's the term actually doesn't really mean anything. It's just a it was a a colorful thing that the boxing writers hung on some of the smaller boxers of years gone by and then it transferred over into wrestling. When you look at boxing in your lifetime, what do you think wrestling could learn from here was something that was on network TV? with major network personalities doing the commentary, like Howard Cosell. All of a sudden, closed circuit becomes a bigger and bigger thing, so the bigger fights are doing closed circuit. But it's on network TV for years and years and years, and then eventually it goes to cable. And then eventually, like HBO, which was known for boxing, gets rid of boxing altogether. What comparisons do you see there between that and wrestling on TV? Well, the thing with boxing was there was always an element of fight fixing. I mean, everybody, you're crazy if you think there wasn't, and we've talked about some of them in the past. But it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent, and it was only either in the buildup of a fighter they thought was marketable, or in some cases in a big money situation to necessitate a big money rematch. Most of everything was on the level in terms of as far as the efforts of the guy, two guys in the ring. And the business was protected and taken care of, uh, you know, in that respect, better than it was in wrestling, where there were a lot more loose lips. Maybe it's because the boxing had the guy, the leg breakers that would fuck you up for, for real, for good, if you goddamn, you know, stooged on them. But the thing is, as not only mixed martial arts came around and showed boxing promoters how to hype fights because to me boxing since the 60s maybe 70s the gap has widened the big money fights are still floyd mayweather the big money boxing fight is something that wrestling wasn't able to touch on pay-per-view uh no matter even though there were more plentiful more wrestling pay-per-views and big money wrestling shows and live wrestling events drawn big crowds and there were boxing for the past 50 years the big money boxing fights on pay-per-view still outgrossed everything because that was still kind of a cultural thing the big heavyweight championship or big money boxing match was the biggest thing in sports the problem was As time went on, wrestlers got more television-friendly personalities. Boxers never did. And wrestling became more television-friendly. And because it was entertainment, because it was a little more open to 
interpretation and or playing with it, it got people's attention more. And and so they the the people who wanted entertainment in their fighting were satisfied, and then UFC came along, and it's let's face it, watching a UFC or any kind of MMA fight with top talent is much more exciting than watching a boxing match where they're gonna stand there and fucking punch each other. And also the Dana White and Joe Silva is matchmaker from early on, was an old time Carolina's wrestling fan. And they hyped fights like pro wrestling. That's why I said for years during that period of time, they're doing our business better than we are. So the point is, your real sports fans love the fucking UFC fights. The entertainment sports fans get more entertainment out of fucking wrestling. And boxing, except for the few major money matches involving people that already have a built-in following and can get over in that kind of way, Everybody else that gets in boxing starves to death and has been for years. So it was the bell of the ball when it was only boxing and wrestling and there was no UFC. Now wrestling's on its ass worse than ever in the last 120 years, but at least it's still around better than boxing and UFC is still the only thing making money on pay-per-view, except when Floyd Mayweather or Oscar De La Hoya or whoever decides to fight. Well, it won't be De La Hoya, I promise you I, that. I, well, I'm just saying over the last... Think about it. What big money... I mean, you couldn't cross the street 50 years ago without hearing about Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier or George, George Foreman or whatever the case. And now every couple of years, they'll have a big money fight if it's in, involving Mayweather. Before that, it was, oh, goddamn, uh, what was the kid's name? What kid? Uh, what kid is that? Well, the boxer, the 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 guy that was drawing a lot of money, Manny Pacquiao. Pacquiao, yes, there you go. The kid. But I'm, well, you but you, well, he was younger than me. But in the last fifteen years, can you name five boxers that have drawn big money? Well, there are a few because see, the sad thing is there are a few heavyweights, and they're all right, but they don't get anywhere near the publicity or anything that heavyweights in the past did. You know, I grew up in the 90s when you had Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield, which was just yeah. an incredible trilogy. When my father was in hospice here at the manor, me and my brother were watching various things that he liked with him, which is why I ended up marathoning Mr. Ed for a little bit. <laughs> and I'm not complaining. What a funny fucking show. But George Foreman versus Ron Lyle. Again, off network TV. Go, anyone who wants to check out an amazing fight from 76. Go, it's on YouTube. Howard Cosell on commentary. It's incredible. Did you ever watch boxing when it was on oh, TV? God. I'm from Louisville. Other than Ali, though. Like, if it was a Foreman versus Lyle. Well, yes, but, was... but then, then you were interested, especially because it was on Wide World of Sports, you know. Uh, but you were interested because is he going to get the rematch with Ali or whatever? So if it was, and and like you said, at that period of time, you had... Ali and Foreman and Frazier, the heavyweights, and you had Holyfield and and uh, a, a variety of heavyweights and Tyson in the 80s, 90s, and and they had personalities. Now you've got lighter weight boxers, a few of them with the personality and the notoriety, and most of boxing is on its ass. It's it's probably suffered more than wrestling the dawn since the dawn of UFC. 
Yeah, and again, I grew up kind of the end of what I thought was the great heavyweight division, the end of the 90s there. The heavyweights today, it's just, it's not as exciting. You know, it's just not, it hasn't been since the Klitschko's to me. But we don't want to talk too much more about boxing. Let's get back to some wrestling here on the show. Jim, this next question, sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Josh. Hey, listen. Hey! Have you ever been ditched going to or from a show? If so, what is a moment you remember the most or least? Have I, wait, have I ever been, I mean, has somebody just left me standing by the side of the road? Or at the arena or at your house? Yeah. Or anywhere, yeah. The gas station? Now, hold on. No, no, believe me, no, because I've never gotten a car with anybody that would pull that. Uh, I, I ride with few people. It was always me and the Midnight, me and the Heavenly Bodies, me and Hildebrand, me and select few other people. So, and usually, to be quite honest, over the past 30 years, it's been my car and I would be the ditcher instead of the ditchy. So no, nobody's ever left me anywhere where I was already on a trip with them and, and or coming back. And that would have, we would have already told that story. It would have been on YouTube um, and probably one of the higher listened to clips. And there's been a couple of times where for whatever reason or another, somebody didn't show up to that we had scheduled a ride whether it was flat tire or fucking you know whatever the case over 40 years um but nothing stands out because it wasn't necessarily purposeful so yeah no i I, I, what about you ditching someone well no that's that see that's not cool you can't you can't if you've made the commitment to get somebody somewhere in the wrestling business in your car, then you have to honor that and you have to either get them back or if they bail and say, Hey, I'm going to ride back with this rat or I'm going to switch rides and go with, well, then that's permissible, but you can't, you know, leave somebody if you've made the commitment to take them, which is why we didn't make a lot of commitments to take a lot of people. Cause we didn't know how, you know, Tommy young, rode with the midnight for quite a while and, and or Bubba, but it was always part of the family. We didn't just pick up stragglers here and there that we didn't know. All right, Jim, we're our next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Richard Ives in England. Hello, Jim. I met, a, I met a man with seven wives coming from St. Ives. Quick question. Do you still hate Shawn Michaels? <laughs> no, I, <I'd, laughs> I don't know if I ever hated Shawn Michaels. I never felt about him the way I felt about Shitstain or Donald Trump or any really egregious excremental excuse for a human being. Uh, it was just, uh, and and he was a great worker, and I've said that. Great fucking performer in the ring, just a goddamn annoying fucking prima donna motherfucker to be around nasty to all my friends during the 90s and then found god which i don't believe in so i don't put as much faith in as everybody else when they've reformed i say if you're were that big of a prick before you're probably always going to be a prick uh but i don't hope that he gets run over by a bread truck and or falls off a cliff and i've you know whenever he is straight on television. I'm not talking about sober or not sober. I'm talking about when he's 
being a straight wrestler instead of making dick jokes and doing the DX reunions, I've never had a problem with watching Shawn Michaels' matches. It was just an annoying fucking period of time in my life and a goddamn unprofessional fuck to be around to get along with or deal with. If he came up to you and said, Jim, I'm a different person, I'm a Christian, please forgive me, and extended his hand, would you shake it? Yes, I did. He came up to me at the Hall of Fame. I turned around and there's somebody hugging me and it was him. Hey, how you doing? Shook hands. Sean, I haven't seen you in forever. Ah, you look great. You look great. And we walked off. <laughs> We're not going to fight each other. Well, I know you're not going to fight him. Well, he's not going to fight me. I mean, is there's just no reason to, there's, there was never any fighting fucking words going on. See, that's why well, he should. Cup, actually, <laughs> there was the fighting words going on that time when he yelled at me and Jose, and I told Jack Lanza, I said, if he talks to me that way in front of the boys again, I'm going to shoot his knees. You'll have a four-foot-tall WWF champion. But, I mean, it, you know, it, there's not enough lingering heat that we want to just fight each other after fucking 30 years or whatever. At least I don't think so. And hey, it's, it's the only win? Anderson. Who do you think will win a match between you and Shawn Michaels? I said, today, I think he would probably still whip me. He's, he's, you know, he still looks like he's in pretty good shape. I might be able to outrun some of these fat fucks that <laughs> blew up after they got out of the wrestling business, but he looks like he's stayed in fairly good shape. Do you uh, think at, at this age, if you worked with Shawn Michaels and you went for a dive, do you think legitimately <laughs> you would get higher off the ground than Top Dollar did? Well, yes. Yes, it would. It would actually, it would almost be impossible to, to just fall down and not get higher in the air than Top Dollar did. I could, I could stay exact. My, my head would be the same distance off the ground. I could just kick my fucking feet up and I'd be higher in the air than he was. Just kick your feet up, baby. But no, my, Michael's, it's the only Anderson principle. So many other dipshits have come along that are worse than you, that you've moved up the ladder without doing anything. All right, Jim, our next question. Sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Sean in Florida. That's where he is now, eh? I know we a different Sean, by the way, I believe. I know we live in a post-kayfabe world, but Jericho shooting on storylines three days after they happen is pretty far out there, no? He'll lose the action Andretti on Wednesday, and by Saturday he's giving us the play-by-play -play of how it came to happen on his <laughs> podcast. Even in this era, this is a bit egregious, isn't it? Have yes. there ever, have there ever been unofficial rules? <laughs> have there ever been unofficial rules about how much time needed to pass before sitting down for shoot interviews? Oh, good. No, because where do I even start? There weren't shoot interviews until 20 years ago to begin with. There's never been any official rule, but you ought to be if you're involved in something currently. And I mean, even when I was doing MLW commentary a few years ago, or the NWA stuff, or went back to, what was it called for that week I was there? It used to be TNA. There was Global Force Wrestling, and then it went back to TNA. But the point is, when I was not, I, was, I would say, hey, I've seen this guy and that guy, and he's really good, or they had a good match or whatever, but I wasn't actively either crucifying the rotten stuff or 
you know, giving my backstage dissertation on how everything came to be, because that wouldn't be fair. I was joining them as a performer, as an announcer in that particular role, and it wouldn't be right for me to go into the same detail about what just happened on their television last Tuesday as something from 30 years ago is legendary. And here's the firsthand story, blah, blah, blah. Cause that wouldn't be fair to them. That's, it's like, it's a difference between explaining in some cases of, you know, Houdini's bag of tricks or exposing the magician that you're working for as an assistant on an ongoing basis right now. Just a little, but just a little respect for, if nothing else, the brilliant idea that you just had, because that's Jericho's thing. He, he has these brilliant ideas and then does them. And then three days later, as the questioner said, talks about how great he was for having it and how great he was for doing it and how great he was for letting the other guy be involved in it which kind of nullifies the idea that this guy came out of nowhere and scored a big win <laughs> against this fucking big star's will when he comes out three days later and says, yeah, I handpicked him, did the whole thing. It was all my idea because I'm a charitable, wonderful human and humble and lovable. Because that's the motivation behind what he's doing. He comes out to talk about how great his idea was, how great his performance was, how great everybody's going to look now that they're working with him. And whether it's that or whether it's just the two guys that do a bloodthirsty angle on one TV show on a Friday night, and on Monday you see a picture of them at one of their kids' birthday parties on Twitter or, you know, talking about how they're such devoted, lifelong friends. Why? Why do you have to do that right now? You're doing something else. You're at cross-purposes to your own efforts. Morons. So, yeah, that's ridiculous. There is no rule of thumb, but it ought to be. Use your goddamn good common sense that God gave you, which apparently there's none existing there. After this action Andretti stuff plays out, and who knows, based on the way things have done, it could be the next episode, or it could be months and months and months. But Jericho traditionally latches on to someone. He'll find someone that has some buzz, someone who the fans have taken to, and he'll find a way to get himself in there, steal all their energy and chi, and then just push them aside and move on to the next person. Who do you think is going to be the next one? Well, you know, here's the thing that he broke that mold with Andretti because this was, they weren't, they didn't already know who Andretti was and they didn't care anything about him because they didn't know who he was. This was the surprise that would get everybody talking about Action Andretti, but by extension, as we mentioned, Chris Jericho. It was all about get attention on Jericho in a different way, at the same time allegedly proving to his detractors that he's charitable and humble and lovable and will put other people over. He's gone on a spree of it, but only in the the ways that brings the attention back to him. So point being, here's that one of two things will happen with Andretti. And I will say this, I'll say this to try to make the other thing happen. If I'm to, if I say here right now that I genuinely think that if we see Andretti again more than the next week or two on television talking about what he's done so that Jericho can interrupt and try to get 
uh, fucking revenge that will lead to Andretti developing a big brother that's a more noted individual on the roster that will be Jericho's next program, and then we'll never see Andretti again. If I say that, then just for to prove me wrong, either Tony or Jericho or both will say, let's just use Andretti every week on television from now on, no matter what. So to save us that, I'm going to say they're going to use Andretti every week on television from now on, no matter what. And that way they'll say, well, fuck, we got to prove him wrong. We'll use him two weeks and get rid of him. That's my belief. Who do you think will be the next victim for Jericho is my question. Oh, um, after Andretti. God damn. I see. Here's the thing. They're so nondescript over there. I should have their roster in front of me so I could pick up a name. It appears they're pointing Danielson toward uh, MJF. They're short on baby faces to begin with. God damn. It's certainly it couldn't be Moxley. Um, Claudio Moore. I don't know who, who's, maybe this is why he thought of the Andretti thing. You have to think like Jericho. He ran out of, well, he ran out of people to beat. So now he's bringing his own in. Out, who do you think? And since that time where he brilliantly came up with the Andretti match and angle, Ricky Starks got himself over big time on that show. The same way guys like Eddie Kingston did. Get on the mic and let people... Have an idea Talk of who themselves they, over. Yeah, let them have an idea of who you really are. Ricky but Starks that would, got over. That would, that would come out of fucking, well, everything else comes out of left field too. Stark should still be involved with MJF and, and or involved with Danielson trying to get in the middle of that. I'm you think they'll you. break Starks off just for Jericho, just so he can sap that energy? If we're going based on track record, only based on track record and what's happened, Chris Jericho has noticed the attention Ricky Starks is getting, and he wants to find a way. He needs to find a way to get himself in there with him. I, I, I'll bet you it's Ricky Starks next. Because it ain't going to be. Because it can't be Claudio. He's already run through like the Pudding Gang are barely on the show anymore, so he can't even say Orange Cassidy. But he's gone through him, gone through Moxley a few times. Wardlow's. Right now, they can't. They got to do something else with Wardlow. If it was Wardlow, that would actually probably be a good thing for Wardlow, Wardlow and Jericho. But Ricky Starks has got something going on. I'm telling you, if we, if we go on the Eddie Kingston principle and the MJF <laughs> principle, it'll be Ricky Starks next. But you know, overall, Jericho's got 10 more years of contract, but he doesn't have 10 more years of opponents, does he? There are certain things that Shad Khan cannot guarantee. However, if you feel like you have a lot going on, if you feel like you need to convince people that you're a brilliant person and tell them everything you got going on inside that head, maybe the real problem isn't that you need to broadcast yourself. The problem is you need someone to talk to. You know, that transition was inflammatory and at the same time completely incomprehensible to the average person. But nevertheless... Well, thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome, folks. <laughs> we got to mention again at the at the top of the uh, the uh, segment here. It's the holiday time. Another one of our great sponsors. This show is along with many others is sponsored by BetterHelp. And at the holiday time, a lot of people 
have trouble. And we've talked about this before in, in preceding years. And, you know, if, if you feel especially alone, you're going to feel more alone at the holidays. If you're going to have troubles, you're going to have more time to dwell on them during the holidays. And the holidays is supposed to be the time of family and happiness and togetherness and joy and et cetera. But for a lot of people, it makes whatever they've got going on worse because they don't feel that. And as a result, it's it's magnified at that time. And you can avoid a lot of that with somebody to talk to. It doesn't have to be a family member. It might be preferable if it wasn't a family member. You want to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with your mother-in-law? Who wants to do that? But life doesn't come with a user manual, but it does come with people that can help you out and give ideas, suggestions. You can bounce things off of. An online therapist, especially a trained one, uh, can help you figure things out. If you're stuck or if you're unsure of something or whether you're thinking about changing careers or relationships or parenting or whatever the case, therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. See, I could have gone all kinds of places in the world if I'd ever learned coping skills. But the folks at BetterHelp has connected, have connected, I used horrible English there, the folks at BetterHelp have connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, accessible anywhere, it's 100% online, and right now as the world's largest therapy service that have matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, they are affordable and they are ready to help you. All you got to do is go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com, slash J-C-E. You're going to fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things don't click there, you can switch to new therapists anytime. There's no waiting rooms, no traffic, and you can learn more about it and save 10% off your first month's services at betterhelp.com, slash J-C-E. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash jce whether it's a christmas thing or a new year's resolution start making changes to improve your life for the better self-empowerment dealing with trauma coping skills or just trying to figure out how to kick the jim Cornette experience and drive through monkeys off your back one or the other better help can help you that's right and we encourage anyone who could use someone to talk to to contact better help and let them help you but Jim, let's help ourselves to some more questions here. This next one, sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com, from Jeff in upstate New York. Dear Jim, you've often criticized Vince McMahon, and rightly so, for often presenting sizzle instead of steak. That being said, in your opinion, to what degree does a show's look, feel, and presentation matter? To me, Mid-South after leaving Shreveport, world-class with the Renegades Rampage Ring, <laughs> WWF tapings post-Allentown, JCP becoming WCW, Chip Kessler instead of Bob Cottle on Smoky Mountain, all changes that had nothing to do with wrestlers or in-ring action, but changes that left me missing the way things were. I realize that I may be the only person on earth who misses Joe McHugh and Reese Bowden, <laughs> but I really would love to hear your thoughts on how important a show's look, feel, 
and presentation are. Well, you've covered a couple of different things there, though with look and feel and presentation, an announcer is is obviously involved in that. But you know, when you're you're talking about two different things when you're talking about personnel changes and production changes. And the look and feel of the program in terms of the lighting and the environment in wrestling, it didn't it didn't used to be particularly important at all. I mean, there were because we've talked about in the 50s, people have seen the old 50s wrestling tapes that still exist, and it was black and white and it was simple. It was it, but that's what TV looked like. Boxing and football, everything looked the same way. That was the state of the art at the time. Then in the territory days, it was local television. And I mean, then it was a, it was a crapshoot as to what you were going to look like. And the bigger television stations had a better looking studio wrestling product. The Memphis show always looked good because WHBQ and later WMC, they were two of the better stations in the market and they had nice studios. Then Nick Goulas at the same time on the other end of the territory, you know, we used to get a tape from Huntsville, Alabama, the Huntsville TV every now and then was Sterling Brewer. And when the interns and Ken Ramey were on it, the interns are dressed in white. One guy take them and shoot one of them across the ring and he would leave a streak of white all the way across the TV screen from the goddamn bleeding of the, you know, white outfit in the low production quality but that was local television at the time and people understood that and they still watched it because it was the content of the show that mattered and yes all the changes that the questioner mentioned you know the renegades 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 rampage uh logo on the mat was after the glory days of USWA slash, you know, that brief period of world class there. Um, it wasn't so much as uh, uh, some of the, the for instances that he gave weren't so much about the difference in the look of the TV show as much as the fact that they had lost key personnel, lost key talent, business was down. It wasn't, the crowd wasn't what it used to be. When you were watching studio wrestling, you understood there were almost no people there. It was 50 or 75 or 100, depending on the studio. But still, if they were making noise, it helped. But when wrestling moved to the arenas and when Vince started, you know, his national expansion and started putting way more money into the sizzle than the stake, and it, it wasn't about who was on the talent roster it wasn't about who the announcers were it was just it, the television show looked better it looked more major league it was more visually appealing to the average person who may not even be a regular wrestling fan but would look at something like oh gosh those guys are stars and wow they're in a big arena and it's all lit up and a blah 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 and then the that's when the promoter started playing catch up with production quality and production value and trying not to look like the the you know the the B team or the B movie studio even until the early 90s really i mean it first started in the 80s with WCW and and WWF you know battling it out but people were still watching 
the territory's shows until they went away. And they'd even Smoky Mountain Wrestling in the early 90s, obviously we weren't a national production, but for what else was airing in terms of local television, in terms of regional sports, in in the on the stations that we were on in the states we were in Virginia North Carolina Tennessee we were still comparable looking to television that was you know just shot for that area and better than than many it, not just wrestling but television but then you know over the past however but 20 25 years with the dawn of the digital age and everything now you can do an incredible digital video picture with your goddamn cell phone on a stick. So it's it it even though there's it, production is still important. AEW looks close enough to WWE that if the show was the content of the show and the roster and the booking and the interest and the energy of what the content was was better, it it would be you know, close enough that you could say, well, fuck this, these guys are pretty close. It's not local television, but the, the local aspect of it is what is hard to get off the ground these days with wrestling for a variety of reasons, including it's hard to get a good looking building, a decent crowd, a roster of good wrestlers that are booked in an entertaining way and to shoot the whole thing with an experienced TV crew to where it looks comparable. That ain't as easy as it used to be. The whole TV world has changed. So production has gone from not really important at all to, eh, it's good when you have it in the 70s and 80s to now a lot of it is, you know, half the battle. Well, again, to go to his question and talking about the presentation, let's look at Memphis just because you know that better than anyone. There's a few things that happened throughout the years that I actually think as a fan of it hurt the product. Obviously, Lance Russell leaving the show, as good as Dave Brown was, hurt because it was Lance Russell and it was that show. So even if the show was still great and the angles were still great and you liked the wrestling, whatever it is, it changed the feeling of the show. But also... And I may be alone on this or in the minority. When they got rid of the curtains as the backdrop and they went to the little set for the um Yeah. For the CWA. And then after that, remember in the early nineties, they even had like a green screen and Dave would interview guys in front of a green screen while like yeah. an image was in the background. Like things like that actually. You and know. then and then when we when we went back, me and Stan and Steve, the fabulous ones, in early ninety one, they had a sponsorship deal with one of the strip clubs in town so they'd have the strippers in bikinis standing up there when they did the memphis card and then and i could just imagine if christine jarrett had seen that back in the days go why are they making our television show look like a strippers it's every time stan and steve are in town well no this was what they were (laughs) actually this is the way i got heat they were they were doing the strippers would come out for the every time you talked about the local card and they would stand there and I'm sure Dave Brown's not a stripper aficionado. He probably wasn't real fond of it either. But I come out with Stan and Steve, and I said, wait a minute. We've just come back. We just turned on Jerry Lawler. We're doing a hot angle for the main event, and we're going to stand in front of a bunch of twats wearing bikinis. That's all the people are going to be fucking staring at. 
I told the girls, I said, get off this stage. I know you want my fabulous ones, and we're not going to say a word <laughs> until you leave. Well, they didn't have any idea who the fuck I was or anything about wrestling. They'd just been paid to stand there with the <laughs> tickets out. So they're not going to do it. And I looked at Dave, and I told him, and I gave him the eye where he knew. I said, Dave Brown, ain't going to be another word spoken out here until those girls get off this set. And that's when he turned around and said, all right, ladies, just go ahead on and let's humor him to see what he has to say. And he ran them off. And then I got heat from the people for running off the strippers with the big tickets. But anyway, yes. That's what the about thing. the curtain? What about them losing the curtain in Memphis on TV? Well, they didn't lose it. Well, they you know what I mean. Where it was, they just changed. They were trying to upgrade the look of the show and make it look more contemporary. And they had a set built, you know, with the big logo and everything. But at the same time as that happened, the talent took a massive nosedive. And because the territories were dwindling and the talent was starting to be sucked up by the big companies with guaranteed contracts and the whole thing was changing. So the point is you can have the best produced television show in the world and think back to, was that Paul Alperstein that did the AWF or Herb Abrams is UWF. It, for the time, that was a major league looking television production that you would have thought they spent some money in, except they had 500 people in a 15,000 seat building. But the production meant nothing because the content of the show was dreck. And in some cases, there in the late 80s, they were the all the shows were trying to find sponsors or trying to change their look or upgrade something that they could afford to upgrade, but they'd lost talent. They'd lost announcers. They'd lost key people. That's what you can't fabricate or replicate. And I'm just saying, traditionally, territory wrestling, some of these territories did ludicrous business on some of the worst-looking television productions that you've ever seen. We put the 23,000 people in the Superdome for the last stampede match with Watts and JYD. The go-home interview with Junkyard Dog as Stagger Lee was shot on a VHS camera out in a fucking field with no windscreen on the camera and it was a windy day or on the microphone and a blindfolded Jim Ross and Jim Ross being blindfolded. So he couldn't go back and tell people where stagger Lee's hideout was, but nevertheless, the production meant nothing. It was the content, the personalities and the people selling it on camera. And then Vince made production important. And then at the same time, people lost their talent. I still say all things considered, the talent and the content of the program is way more important than the production to wrestling fans, and they will find the program they like, if there is indeed one out there that exists. But today, you do have to have some level of production to clear some type of bar before people will even look at it and give it a chance, just because production in general has come so, so far. Well, when we talk about the presentation and the commentators, is there any evidence that shows that commentators yelling at the audience for the entire show is an effective way to get a message across? No. No, and and, especially, and a lot of people are even going to say, well, Cornette, you were goddamn having a fucking epileptic seizure when you did commentary, especially in OVW. But I had Dean Hill next to me to balance me out. It was like a human soma. 
Uh, no, that was Dean's thing to be laid back and to talk when I breathed. But I was selling like an auctioneer to get the point across. But when they're screaming for the sake of screaming and the fake announcer voice, and you can tell that it's not really genuinely coming from what's in the ring or what they feel, but it's just their notes and or the things they've been told to sell, and it's constant. You know, that no, that's just become a thing because everybody imitates the WWF. And people that wanted to be wrestling announcers were imitating Gene Okerlund or Vince McMahon 30 years ago, and now, you know, well, they still are. I mean, what is Sockface on AEW? He's doing that fake announcer. Oh. Well, besides that. But, I mean, he's doing that fake announcer voice, and he's doing the mark announcing that he'd used to do in the basement and making sure to call every single obscure Japanese move by its correct name while getting nobody over to a regular audience of normal people. I also laughed during the angles. Yes! And so that's that's been a thing since, you know, it, Gene Okerlund had that personality. He was the exception of the rule. You could get away with that because he was just, that he was dry and it worked, but everybody tries to imitate him or anything else that anybody's ever done. It just comes off that way as you're, it's like, you know, when I was fucking 17 and, you know, who am I going to imitate? I'm going to imitate handsome Jimmy Valiant. Woo, mercy, promises, promises, babe. But, but I didn't look anything like him and everybody knew I was imitating him. And that's the thing is it's just a lot of imitation, which is not necessarily the sincerest form of flattery these days. Well, Jim, our next question sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Gordon. There's been so much discussion about the awful booking in AEW on the show. I want to throw an idea out there and hear your thoughts. What if Tony Khan was to hire Paul Heyman and give him complete creative control? (laughs) Do you think he could turn the show around and give us something worth watching? Could Paul Heyman fix AEW, Jim? Okay, uh, could he or would he is two different things. Could he? (sighs) Boy, I haven't talked to Paul personally in ages, so I don't know where he's at. He's a few years younger than I am, as I like to remind everybody, because of the various ways that we both look now. If he was 10 or 15 years younger and you told him, Paul, here's a billionaire that is easily persuaded, easily led. He is a huge wrestling fan and has, it will not only fund this, however it needs to be funded, but has television on TBS and TNT. And he is offering you full control of who to hire and who to fire on the talent roster and how to make the matches and how to use it or use them. And like I said, if Paul was, what am I, 61, so he'd be 57 now maybe? Is he 57, 58, when's his birthday? I don't know. Uh, If he was 42 instead, I would say not only would he probably take that, but he could do it. As long as Tony stayed completely out of the way, and let him do his thing, I think he could have. 
now would he be motivated? Would he feel like he has that long left in his life that he wants to fuck? Because it would take a while. And we're talking a couple of years. Does he want to dive headfirst into something like that right now, take all that burden, all that responsibility, all that work, all that grief and heartache, all those people to lie to, all those people to fucking swerve and con to put the thing together where it would work and he could do it? Um, I don't think he'd want to do it. And it, it, it wouldn't be like the deal that Dixie offered him because, I mean, he could tell that she was not only in way over her head and personally, personally a nitwit, but there wasn't the financial backing. The, the, maybe Carter had, old man Carter had similar money, but not that he was showing any indication he was going to put in wrestling as, as the cons. And so that's why, as I've said, Heyman said, well, you give me a piece of the company, which was the one thing he knew was a deal breaker. You give me a piece of it, I'll come in and fix it. And she wasn't going to do that, and he knew that, and that's how he could stay babyface. Well, I tried, because he knew that company was unfixable. Even he couldn't have done it, because they didn't have the the commitment to the finances. They didn't have the goddamn, may have had national TV on Spike, but they didn't have this kind of television at a point when Vince was vulnerable. And yes, they had a roster, but the point is, this this. AEW, if Paul was younger and was made the the offer, could see that he could take advantage and manipulate Tony Khan in any way he wanted. He could get, like Jericho has, he could get any amount of money in any length of contract. Again, Chris Jericho will be under contract when he's 62 years old. So he would see that and he would go, yes, the only thing... It would be stopping him now, I think, is if he just figured, why the fuck? I've, you know, it's easy over here, and I know the company's never going out of business, and I don't have to fucking go through headaches, and I could be with my family most of the time. But otherwise, it would it would have been interesting if he was a little younger. See, that's the thing. I never was at a point in my life where I wanted to just take advantage of somebody even if they were a blithering simpleton but paulie always was so paulie would take this deal when you look at paul's career let's say as a wrestling executive so from the early 90s on and behind the scenes what he's been doing not even talking about anything in front of the camera do you think from the success we've seen whether it's brock or cm punk or roman reigns and probably a few people in between I'm forgetting. Do you think that Paul's better working with a handful of talent that he can work thoroughly with, as opposed to having an entire roster of people to oversee? Because let's face it, if you're going to fix AEW, that's a hands-on job right now. <laughs> well, I remember it. He was always, when in ECW, he was hands-on at the shows, but then once that everybody went back home, because it wasn't a full-time territory, everybody didn't live there. A lot of guys flew in, weekends, whatever. Once that, you know, he was away from you or you were away from him or whatever, then you could never get him on the phone. And uh, there was always the the constant stories about, Paul hadn't called you back yet? Oh, God. And I did some of the same thing, because it is a busy fucking job. But Paul would be, he would be a godsend 
to the program in terms of its wrestling value and entertainment value and to the talent roster in terms of a tutor and a mentor and how to get the most out of the least if they listen to him, he would be a night. He would be wonderful for Tony Khan because he'd be Tony Khan's best friend. They'd be inseparable. He would be a nightmare for the network and potentially the production crew and or the sponsors to work with because he never hits a deadline. He's always got to cross a line. Uh, he's potentially going to get trouble with the sponsors or with the network for content and or the fact that, well, remember, we've heard the stories going back to the days of their first pay-per-view. I think, who was it? Was it? It may have been Candido. It may have been somebody else, uh, one of the many people in the company in the mid-90s when they did that first pay-per-view. Paul got fined by On Demand or whoever, like $25,000 that they didn't have because he didn't deliver the goddamn... Remember the old uh, uh, Barker Channel the pregame show? Yeah. The countdown show or whatever that you had to have for every pay-per-view, selling it. This is what you're going to see. I'll call, call your cable company right now. And it would have been in-demand, I think, not on-demand. In-demand, on-demand, whatever. Uh, the pay-per-view company. They find him because he didn't fucking deliver that. He was way over time. He didn't even start it till the fucking it was already late. So he was a nightmare to work with from terms of and the production people that he just, he said, just shoot whatever happens and we'll edit it together later on. There wasn't even any formats. He tried to write OVW television like that. Danny Davis wanted to strangle him. But again, that's a younger Paul Heyman, and that's also a Paul Heyman without the funding for a real staff. But who knows whether or not that he could work with a real staff, because he's a lot like me. He might want to work at, at in those days, three o'clock in the fucking morning, or he might want to do something and then just hand it to you. I'm saying with, with eccentric geniuses, I'm just saying whether he was younger, older, or whatever, you'd still get Paul at his best and worst. You'd still get his best wrestling mind and him getting the most out of the least talent and him, you know, being able to get the people into a cult-like frenzy. And you'd also get him being hard to deal with with production and or... uh sponsors and or network and or other business vendors because he's always behind he's always late he's always got an excuse and he's not prepared in a lot of cases he whereas that's the danny davis went from me be writing 27 pages of information for everybody involved in the show to paul saying here's the list of matches let's just shoot what happens so he went from one extreme to the other but that's that's Paul's thing. He's an eccentric genius. He can think of these things, and he manipulates people's emotions. And you'd also get all the great stories that Paul would tell. And the one, was that Tommy Dreamer or was that Bubba Ray Dudley? Paul, I haven't got my plane ticket. Well, I FedExed it to you. Well, what's the tracking number? He rattled off a bunch of numbers. And then the guy says, well, Paul, that's one too many numbers. He said, I'll just take off the last nine. You know... You get what you get, but he would definitely be able to run the locker room, book a better show, and put on a better production. It would get guys over and make more sense. In terms of it, in terms of booking a show, in terms of wrestling, in terms of booking a show in 2022, do you think he would run into some of the problems that maybe you had with Ring of Honor? In that, 
there may be some fans that want a Paul Heyman wrestling product, and who knows what that would look like in modern times. But if you're not delivering the product that the AEW fans are used to, the fans that like the Kenny Omega Young Bucks kind of stuff, or whatever it may be, because who knows how Paul would change the show. But whoever likes the stuff that is different will have a problem with what he does. Do you think the fact that he does have the reputation and he is Paul Heyman, is that a lot to carry going into a job like that? I think if if he bothers to go out and talk to the people, he'd have them believing. He'd have them, you know, sticking their head between their legs and licking their own asshole. He can talk people into anything. And I thought where you were going with that question was not the fans, but the wrestlers. The wrestlers would the wrestlers listen even to Heyman, the the wise man? Would they take advice from him? If necessary, he would just confuse them to the point where they had thought of doing whatever he wanted them to do. There would be no contest between anybody in that locker room today and Paul Heyman if he wanted them to do something and they didn't want to do it, they would leave the room having agreed to do it. Nobody's on his fucking level. Not today. So I believe he could, yes, he could bullshit in Buffalo, both the wrestlers and the fans, to give him time to fucking do whatever and then by then, he would have also set up the the scapegoat for if something wasn't working. Well, it's a goddamn network. Remember, he even actually had a fake network representative who was Don Callis to fucking blame for shit that the fans didn't like rather than just say, oh, this sucks. Would, no, it's the network. It's their fault. So he, You know, he's smarter than all these people. and. The thing is, that's always been Paul's deal. He's he he spends so much time outthinking everybody to, you know, if I get what well, he used to. Now that he's settled down, right, and he's just the wise man for the bloodline. But he was always outthinking everybody else to get them to do what they wanted him to do, as long as is he was okay with crossing the line into complete fiction, which he always was. Everything was fine. Well, you have to be careful where you cross that line into complete fiction, because if you do it in the wrong setting with the wrong person... These days... These days, you never know... You you can get sued, can't you? You could, and Paul's dad was a lawyer. And Paul Heyman's father was a lawyer, and he could sue the daggum bumpers off a car. But I'll tell you what... (laughs) Yeah, but I'll tell you what... Yeah, see, you tickled me. But I'll tell you what, if you want somebody to sue the person who drove their car's bumper into you, well, this is the man you got to call. Call Stephen P. You know, folks, when you pick your personal injury attorney, I know you have choices, and there's some of them out there, they're ambulance chasers is what they are. And you can tell because they've always got big, 
holes in their shoes and the bottom of their feet from running down the pavement chasing those ambulances. I'll have you know. That's what that the Velveteen Dream was yelling for. Where's my lawyer? Where's my lawyer? Because he was running behind the police car. He was not only an ambulance chaser, he was a police car chaser. And that's the kind of people you get hooked up with if you just go to these advertisements on the side of a bus or a a park bench or whatever. But when we tell you somebody can do something, they can do it. And I'm talking about the man himself, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. The furthest thing from an ambulance chaser, ladies and gentlemen, he has such a reputation now to Stephen P. New that every time an ambulance picks up a customer, every time they pick up a patient, they take and they drive that person right past Stephen P. New on the way to the hospital. Stephen does not have to chase any ambulances. The ambulances parade the victims in front of Stephen P. New because they know, they know down deep in their hearts that if that poor person laying on that gurney in the back of that ambulance that's been run over by a truck and then backed up over again and their spleen is hanging out of their left ear and their liver is is propped up under their right mud flap. I'm telling you what, they know, the ambulance drivers know that the only man that can get even for that poor sack of body parts in the back of their ambulance is a wizard like Stephen P. New. He, he's the Paul Heyman of attorneys. You would think that Paul Heyman's father would be the Paul Heyman of attorneys, but no, no, Stephen P. New is the Paul Heyman of attorneys because he gets the most money out of the least people. It doesn't have to be a big company. He'll he'll drain one of these son of a bitches dry if they ain't even worth a nickel 95. He'll find them money, get it to them, and then take it away from them just on your behalf. That's how that's how good and charitable Stephen P. New is. He will actually go out and get money for some of these people that have harmed you or terminated you wrongfully or poisoned you or your groundwater or harmed your family with their negligence. If they don't have enough money, he'll go out and make them some money and then take it away from them and hand it right to you. What more can you ask from an attorney? And we talked about this big deal going on down in Louisiana with the energy company down there. They promised after Katrina they were going to revamp that grid. It was going to be able to withstand all these hurricane winds. Nobody was going to lose power and lose their respirators and lose their CPAP machines and the old people in the nursing homes and the little babies in the intensive care and in those incubators or microwaves or whatever they put those babies in. Incubators? Yeah, well, it looked like microwaves. I guess if you set a baby for about a minute at 80% power. No, no. Don't do that? No, we don't do that. Folks, and here's another thing. If there's anybody in your neighborhood currently putting babies in microwaves, Stephen P. New wants to hear about it. That could be a suable offense. But back to Louisiana. So they, what they did was they got all this money for the, from the government, the big energy company down there, and they didn't rebuild the grid, and they didn't strengthen the towers, and they didn't make it hurricane-proof. They gave all their greedy executives a bonus. And what happened... Hurricane Burford come through here not long ago, wiped the whole thing out again. People without power for weeks. People are dying. People are sick. People have their faces pressed up to the window, trying to gasp for breath like a dying goldfish because they can't run their medical machinery without electricity because of these greedy corporate pricks. 
And Stephen P. New is going to put an end to that, just like he'll put an end to your suffering. Whoever's making you suffer, he'll put an end to them, boy. Newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. And he's just been featured on Slam Wrestling, Stephen P. New. He's a he's a he's an entrepreneur and a renaissance man and a raconteur and a gadabout and a man about town. That's right, our friend and yours, Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen, but Jim, let's get a few more questions. Well, hold, hold before... on here now. There's, there's, there's some breaking news. Oh? Because I just looked up at this, and I see on my little tweet thing that Vince Russo is trending. And so I've just clicked, and it's... a. It's a number of older tweets from the past few weeks where people are being derogatory to him or rolling their eyes at him or whatever the fuck. And there's a couple of tweets where people, you know, some shaggy, long-haired fucks, eh, it looks like Vince Russo, but he's actually done something. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, he is now writing articles for a website called WrestleCrap. And, I mean, that's a match made in heaven right there. This material writes itself. Shitstain is now employed by Russell Crap. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the title of the article that he has pinned is What Didn't You Understand About Beaver Cleavage? Now, folks, if you're old enough and haven't, Gotten over the PTSD, you may remember that one of the things that Shitstain did in the WWF was he killed the career of Chaz Warrington. Glenn Ruth and Chaz Warrington were Thrasher and Mosh, the headbangers. And they were a very fine team, a couple of great guys. They were a couple-time WWF tag team champions, etc. But then Glenn had gotten hurt. And this was at the time where everybody on the roster's careers were in the hands of a mental incompetent. And Glenn went from, or Chaz went from one of the headbangers to Beaver Cleavage, a buck-toothed young kid that wore a beanie that had a buxom blonde with him that was alleged to be his mother. And I shit you not, they were already heading that way in the vignettes, and it was going to be an incest deal where they were having relations of various kinds, and they were being suggestive and blah, 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 and it didn't go long. You're going to run off of television. But now, guess who Shitstain is blaming for the failure of one of the worst gimmicks ever seen on wrestling television guess who brian who he's blaming for the failure of beaver cleavage yes from not being what beaver cleavage could have been yes i have no idea the fans oh of course the title is what you didn't uh, what didn't you understand about beaver cleavage and what didn't you get because the i guess it's a it's a running column Titled, What Didn't You Understand, Bro? Here's this column. And, folks, I didn't. I never went one day to college. You've seen a variety of my writing. 
I'm not talking about writing wrestling shows. I'm talking about columns or books or magazine articles or whatever. This fucking clown, even though it was in Evansville, Indiana, claims he went to college and studied journalism. He's claimed that he was a writer for the past 30 years. He's certainly not a booker. But this is the kind of shit that we had to read, that he was submitting, that he was turning into people, claiming to be a writer. Here's the column. And by the way, uh, I'll just say capitals every time that a word is capitalized. If there is one thing that is consistent with the majority of wrestling fans, it's impatience, capitals. Wanting the payoff of every capital storyline immediately, capitals. Not to wait capitals for it, not to ponder capitals for it, not to let it breathe capitals, but rather to pay it off immediately, capitals. That's not the way I wrote TV and not the way TV should be written. I'd like to think that I wrote a thinking man's wrestling show. Oh, come on. I swear to God. One that you had to follow week after week to get the full understanding, capitals, of what exactly happened and why. I know that's the television. Television is capitalized, the first letter, which I enjoy the most, and I am a professional capitals television viewer. And maybe the first thing I've ever agreed with him on, he's a professional viewer. So Thrasher got hurt and he was going to be on the shelf for an extended period of time. Therefore, Mosh was left with his hand on his Hoozy What's-His capital. Yeah, Chaz Warrington could have become a wrestler, capitals, like everybody else, but I don't do things that way. No, I like to go where no writer has ever, capitals, dared go before. To actually come <laughs> up with something new, edgy, daring, different, and yes, controversial. Thus, the birth of beaver cleavage. And there is a picture of poor Chaz with a beanie with a propeller, with a shit-eating grin and rubbing his hands together as beaver cleavage. The column continues. Obviously a parody of Leave it to Beaver. On the surface, Beaver and his mother, Mrs. Cleavage, seem to have somewhat of a different relationship. Yeah, man, a mother and son exchanging sexual innuendos, capitals, isn't the norm, capitals. But if you really thought about it, if mom and son were indeed having an inappropriate relationship, you think they would let the world know, capitals? Absolutely not. It would be done in secret, behind closed doors, in the middle of the night. Not over breakfast, capitals. So in the wrestling world... Why is everything capitalized? I don't know. Because it's the way he talks, because he screams without reason over and over about wrestling. Column continues. <laughs> so, in the wrestling world, quotation marks, this would be known, and Beaver Cleavage and Mrs. Cleavage, or this would be known as, I'm sorry, he miswrote his own column, this would be known as Beaver Cleavage and Mrs. Cleavage working the audience capitals. But, capitals, let's dive deeper, shall we? He capitalized but? But, yes. Don't tell me you actually thought, capitals, they were mother and son. Really, capitals? Bro, capitals, they were the same freaking age, capitals. There was zero, capitals, maternal connection, none, capitals. 
Please don't tell me you really, Capitals, thought there was. Please, Capitals. This was all a ploy, Capitals. They wanted you to believe, Capitals, there was a taboo relationship going on. So as heels, they could use this, Capitals, I'm sorry, they could use this to their advantage to gain the upper hand at the right place at the right time against an innocent, quotation marks, white bread baby face. He's been in the business 30 years. He doesn't know the term. It's white meat baby face, not white bread baby face, you loaf of unbaked dough. How does that work? How are they going to get the advantage on this white meat baby face? Because they're going to say to the opponent, hey, you thought I was fucking licking her fucking carpet. But while you <laughs> thought that, I really hit you with a drop kick. Who the fuck knows how this would be used as a goddamn... <laughs> In his demented mind. Yeah, yes, please continue on with his demented mind. <laughs> the column continues. Yes, Capitals, just like Goldust played Capitals on the homophobic fear. Homophobic is capitalized H and fear is capitalized with the F. So homophobic fear is a proper noun of others. Dash, another brilliant characteristic that some wrestling fans still don't get. Capitals. Hey, would homophobic fear be homophobia? Well, if 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 you're if you're afraid of being afraid, <laughs> then, then that's a double negative. That means that you actually are really gay. <laughs> Please continue. I don't I continue with this column. But of course, wrestling fans, being wrestling fans, thought it was gross capitalized that young Beeve, Y is capitalized and B is capitalized, was doing his mom, which is properly capitalized. So immediately they crapped on it, capitals, not giving it the prop proper is capitalized. The word proper is capitalized, not giving it the proper time to unfold capitalized. But I mean, proper is not in all capitals like unfold. It's just capital. The P is capitalized. So P, proper, is a proper now. I, so now you have marks in the office. Marks begins with capitals, and O is, begins with capitals. Jealous of Vince Russo. All, all those words begin with capitals. Getting in the ear of Vince McMahon asking... What is this new Yaka doing? All capitals with three exclamation points and a question mark. So now you have Marks in the office, jealous of Vince Russo, getting in the ear of Vince McMahon asking, what is this new Yaka doing? Did he spell it like now, that? New yes. Yorker? Y-A-W-K-E-R. Isn't that what people would assume the New Yorker sounds like? Why would he say that that's what people like you or Bruce or whoever it may be that he's saying would be complaining about this? Because that's what he sounds like. Because that's what he sounds like. And he can't sound like anything else than what he sounds like, or he would have done it by now. He continues, Now, I'm not one that is going to waste my very valuable time trying to explain to you and convince you where this thing is going. You either trust me or you don't. And if you don't, just scrap it. Your loss, not mine. So what he's saying is he's not going to waste his valuable time trying to explain the inexplicable shit that he's putting on TV that is making everybody ask, what the fuck are you doing? If you don't get it, it's your fault. And either we trust him to make all this come out brilliantly or we don't. And if we don't, 
then just scrap it because, as he says, it's your loss, not mine. And by the way, this graduate of a major journalism school says your loss is Y-O-U apostrophe R-E <laughs> L-O-S-S. You are lost. You are lost. <laughs> M-R wings, M-R not. <laughs> M-R ducks, C-M wings, L-I-B. I am paid. A lot of Southern people know what I'm doing now. So he continues. So yeah, you never got to see where Beaver Cleavage and Mrs. Cleavage were going. What? You want to know now, Capitals? Too late. I don't do that job anymore. You missed out, Capitals, unfortunately. You should have let it play out. Now, you'll never know. And nobody has ever asked. That legitimately was written by Shitstain. Here are some of the comments. Vince Russo is a fountain of misinformation. <laughs> Another one said, quotes, I wrote a thinking man's wrestling show, one that you had to follow week after week to get the full understanding of what exactly happened and why. The commenter's comment then is, you are insane. <laughs> Next one, Vince, bro, we're right here. No need to shout. That is a really annoying writing style. Like beyond anything else, why, if you want someone to actually be able to read what you're writing, that's such a ineffective way to make people actually care about what you're writing. Here's another comment. Proofread, bro. <laughs> another comment. If the audience doesn't understand something, then that's on you, the author. That's true of booking wrestling or reporting or writing literature. Honestly, giving this guy a platform makes me think a lot less of this site. This is beyond disagreement over how wrestling should be presented. I think Russo is fundamentally a bad human being. Uh, another one. So it's everyone else's fault that the gimmick failed. From the fans to people within WWF at the time. Uh, that's a long There's thing. no I mean, time in wrestling history that gimmick would have worked. Uh, here's another one. Vince, I appreciate your input, whether or not I think you're in possession of anything resembling faculties, but please lay off on the capitalized words. It makes the article hard to read. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, we have an update here. Of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin out of action last week on Raw. He was attacked. He thought Beaver Cleavage was just some innocent boy. It turned out he was a wrestler and he wasn't fucking his mom. They turned on Steve Austin, costing him the belt. Oh, and by, and by the way, we forgot as they were, as, as it was coming to an end and getting kicked off television, he spun it off into domestic abuse. What? Remember? Because I don't remember. No. Yes. I think maybe on the last one, Beaver had socked his mother because here, another commenter, the Beaver Cleaver gimmick was bad. The domestic abuse angle that followed was, as the big boss man would say, deplorable. So, yeah, not a lot of support in the in the comments on this column. If they are paying this guy for to be a professional writer, I think they're getting taken. Uh, here's another one. I just thought the whole thing was a gigantic bowl of feces. That's a gigantic bowl of feces. Here's another comment. This gimmick was absolute shit. That's the problem. Russo and his worshiping at the altar of Howard Stern created a lot of crap. No, but see, that's where it gets to be bullshit, too, because I'm a big Howard Stern fan, or at least I was back in the day. And that was one of the days I was a big Howard Stern fan. His stuff was never that 
moronic. No, the no, argument this, for Howard was always all this moronic and perverted shit was happening, but it's a thinking man show if you actually pay attention to the show. Not this. It wasn't but no, this. But, but, you, but you overlook that much in the same way that Vince Russo thought that he was writing good wrestling, he thought that he was being a good Howard Stern. What The, the leather coat, the long hair, the goofy hipness. He 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 went out and got all. Have you seen him? Have you seen a picture of him on the internet lately with his arms exposed? He went out and got a variety of tattoos in his fucking late forties and fifties to try to still hang with the cool kids. A tattooed up man of that age that is the furthest thing from cool, but his gimmick. He had an action figure where he was in a black trench coat carrying a fucking black baseball bat because the people in Atlanta were crazy enough to let him imitate Sting on their television. This is a, He has never had a clear picture of who he was or what he was doing. He thinks he's Howard Stern, and he thinks he revolutionized the wrestling business. And he can't get over it now that 20 years have gone by and nobody has ever wanted to give him another job except the same people that made the mistake the first time. They made it a couple more, and then they rectified it. I can't get Beaver over cleavage. We didn't get to see how it was going to play out. There's no way that something that bad plays out in a good way. I, there's no. Well, we'll never, we'll never know now because he said, "No, fuck us. We should have listened. We should have paid attention. But now it's our, it's it's our loss." O u apostrophe r. Remember when that main event act pretended they were mother and son fucking each other? And I'll tell you another thing. With my little limited education on the book learning and everything, such as never going to college and all that, I always took pride in my wordsmithing and my writing of anything, whether it be television wrestling formats or articles or magazines or books, because my father was a newspaperman and he cared about journalism and he cared about the English language and the form of writing it instead of this blathering simpleton that claims to be a writer and has never shown any fucking evidence of that whatsoever. So that's why I was always especially offended at the things he turned in because in addition to it being dreck, he couldn't spell, he couldn't write, yeah, there's there's no element of education involved in misspelling a bunch of words that you get off of blurbs off the cover of fucking Seventeen magazine and watching the Jerry Springer show. It must have been the Vince McMahon documentary on Vice because I can't think of what else it could have been. But I recently saw something and I just laughed because the title of it I hadn't thought of in years, but it's such a ridiculous title that it's hysterical. Whatever one of his books is. It's how WCW killed Vince Russo. <laughs> Let's go ahead and give him plug. All these books are in the goddamn bargain bin at fucking half price anyway. Rope opera. How WCW killed Vince Russo. <laughs> because he's so fucking touchy about the fact that everybody says he killed WCW. And let's face it, that was a mass murder. And it was a reverse mass murder. Instead of one murderer and many victims, <laughs> it was many murderers on the same victim. But still, he can't 
he played a large part, but he was nowhere near solely responsible. Bischoff and all the TBS executives need to share in that fucking fiasco. But he's he's done a ton of damage on his own to various things, but he can't he can't come to grips with it. So instead, the rest of the world, not even me, I realize that I've done things wrong and I've done things right. And there was a lot of people that think everything I've done is right. And there's a lot of people everything that think everything I've done is wrong. His split is about 95-5. He's got a few suckers still hanging on, but most everybody has seen through it now. But this is what we had to put up with from this illiterate, uneducated simpleton allegedly trying to do... What the fuck... We, if somebody was on stage on Broadway and they brought in this fucking guy to rewrite the goddamn Rodgers and Hammerstein play that was fresh off a fucking stint at Roosevelt Junior High School in Queens running the drama department, don't you think all the fucking actors and musicians and various professionals would be a little offended? That's the same thing I felt when this guy showed up. Hey, Jim, if you go back to the article, the first line that you read, I just pulled it up here. If there's one thing that is consistent with the majority of wrestling fans, it's impatience. That's maybe part of the problem right there. Assuming the majority of fans are impatient. Well, but again, this is projection. Isn't that what the kids call it? Projecting when you accuse somebody of doing what you constantly do as a daily habit this guy is saying nobody had patience to see how something was going to play out this thing gave start an angle cut somebody's head off in seg three and finish it with a death match in seg seven this guy's patient the guy that wanted kane to choke slam the undertaker through the announce desk a week after the hell in a cell this guy's patient he's a complete idiot the only reason that he probably wasn't on Adderall or something like that to control his ADD is because he was so uncool he didn't do drugs. And then he moved to Colorado in his 50s and started smoking weed on camera so he could prove he was cool with his tattoos. This fucking piece of shit. How can I even go on? My God. This is what we all had to put up with. This is what the fans are starting to see. Every time he opens his mouth, Every time he writes something, every time he says the same old horse shit, this is what we all had to put up with. This is why nobody could stand this motherfucker. How's your son doing, Sally? Is he still writing that TV show? Oh no, now he's a staff writer for WrestleCrap. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but goddamn, I just, I just wish Mrs. Cleavage had been able to get that the drop on those fucking baby faces by blowing her son in the middle of the ring. <laughs> he's down on her knees. She's sucking him off. And the guy's going, well, I never thought I'd see that. And while he's got his hands out, beaver small packages him. Yeah, that's that's the, the part I want to know. He didn't even explain that. That could have been the only thing to save this article. Exactly. What was the end going to be? How was this going to happen? Because there's very few options for how this could work. For maximum impact. Yes. The maximum impact. All right. Well, Jim, with that, uh, well, I'm debating before we go, I guess. Briefly, let's talk about this because it's happening right now. Lacey Evans is trending. 
going through the emails, apparently she put out a couple of tweets. One of them, I have an email sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Kyle in Philadelphia. Lacey Evans recently put on social media and later deleted claims that ADD and autism didn't exist before now. And as someone who was diagnosed as ADD in 1988, it's odd that someone who was born in 1990 can claim it didn't exist before now. She also made a tweet about how processed foods are having a negative impact on children and calling the parents insane. Meanwhile, I'm Well, wait, hold, hold. We're going through a lot of things here. So what she... What is her... She's saying that ADD and autism are new things that have... uh, ADD, you didn't hear about, but you always had hyperactive kids, but autism has been around quite a while. Number one, if if I'm not mistaken. And secondly, if she's saying it, what is her point? Well, it's new. Did we just, did we just hatch this somewhere? What is her, her point with this? I guess she uh, either tweeted out or with some other form of social media, a video of someone talking about these things that AD, the, the actual text here that she tweeted out says ADD autism didn't exist before. And there's a man talking and the comments here say, Back when I was a kid, there was no such things. There was no such thing as those things. It sounds like Russo may have ghostwritten this for her, but go ahead. <laughs> That's all it says there. We don't know what the video is, but apparently there was a pretty big backlash and she took it down. And now I see here also Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com tweeted at her. Or no, just made a tweet, excuse me. This Lacey Evans post is infuriatingly stupid. I'll just leave it there. And she retweeted that and wrote, I watched a video on the impact processed food is having on our children, and I shared the video. And then an emoji of someone shrugging. Y'all are insane. So wait, wait a minute now. So she's saying that, yes, processed food is not good for you. Cholesterol, sugar, salt, whatever. I mean, it's not goddamn fentanyl. I believe we can tolerate a bit of it, but no, processed food is not technically healthy for you to eat, but is she saying this is causing autism and what was the other? And ADD is, is processed food. What is going on here with this woman? Well, I'm seeing another, uh, I guess, screen cap of the video that she sent out there, and it has more text on here. In 1980, it was one out of one million, uh, excuse me, no, one out of 150,000 kids had autism. So I don't know where they were going with that, but it appears she may be one of these people that thinks that autism and the rise of the diagnosis of ADD is caused by preservatives in food or whatever else. But I guess the point is why it's trending. A lot of people may have a problem with this, and they seem to have a problem right now. Yeah, I think. <laughs> okay, wait, I'm looking around Twitter. Here's one. Lacey Evans said that processed foods are the reason people have autism, but not too long ago, she did a commercial for corn dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So... And does wait a minute? Does this have something to do with vaccines? Also, is she one of those? Uh oh. Because I'm seeing somebody made a comment about the vaccines don't have anything to do with whatever. 
but uh oh boy and apparently was she retweeting alex jones or something so now well you know it makes sense she was a marine and a lot of people in the service get wrapped up in this kind of shit in autism conspiracies well, in, in various right-wing shit, because they're around a lot of guns, that seems to rub off on people. I don't know, but... Uh, if you were so, promoting today, would you tell all wrestlers and all wrestling personnel, keep your political thoughts or anything like this off Twitter, off social media? No! I would say anybody for democracy and the rule of law and common sense and good government should vote for Democrats. And if you're a Republican, you're fucking fired. That's what I'd say if I was promoting now, but that's why I'm not promoting now. Um, you know, it, you, here's the thing. I get a lot of people are not in the position I'm in where they can just say, I don't give a fuck. This is what I think. And if you don't like it, I don't like you and I don't give a fuck. So they technically they're working for somebody else. They probably shouldn't be taking sides. I had uh, an old friend of mine from Titan Tower tell me that one time. Well, if you didn't talk about politics, then you you know you you'd get more listeners. And at the time, that's when we were doing the drive-through and the experience, and the drive-through was all questions. Never talked about politics. I said I do do two shows. One I talk about politics has more listeners. But nevertheless. If you're working for a company, I guess you have to keep your opinions somewhat neutral publicly. But at the same time, it's so hard these days because you have raving fucking lunatics uh, supporting the overthrow of the government and still trying to install Trump as president and thinking that autism is a result of corn dogs or whatever and QAnon and all that stuff. And then you have normal, sane, reasonable people. So it's hard not to express an opinion. I would try to to tell people if I was the boss of the company, unless you have thoughtful, intelligent opinions, don't spread stupid ones like autism didn't exist and vaccines are bad and Trump should be president and Democrats eat babies and militias are the way to go and whatever the fuck. Don't do that shit because then people just know you're a fucking idiot. Well, welcome back, Lacey Evans. We'll be seeing more action from her in the weeks ahead. But Jim, let's get one song and get she, the hell she's out of been here. she's been branded an autism denier. I didn't I didn't even know that was up for grabs that we haven't always had autism, and and I didn't know we have we've always had ADD. They may just not have given it a specific name. How many kids have you know that? didn't do well in school and couldn't concentrate, bounced off walls. So this is a thing where people deny the existence of autism before a certain year? I don't, I guess it's a thing that people deny the existence of shit that's been proven and around with us for a long time. Trump's fucking overthrow of the government I go back to since the January 6th commission was just on. And or people not realizing that all the stupid shit that they believe in has been disproven. So it's 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 not a new thing. There's always been stupid people. We just now have Twitter and we realize how many of them there are and how many people can be drawn into this horse shit. Weak-minded, gullible simpletons. And again, they're in the process of trying to repackage her once again, and she has now deleted the tweets and the Instagram story. But I'll read one of the comments here because I went to check it out because she's trending. And this guy has what I think ends up being one of the problems, not to say that it's right or wrong, but let's get your thoughts. 
Mandy Rose gets fired for risque pics on a paywall site, but Lacey Evans spouting autism and ADD dangerous misinformation via Instagram is going to be okay with WWE. Wow. There you go. And, you know, if you've got an autistic child or someone in your family or a friend or whatever, that's insulting that, what, this is a new thing because they ate fucking Pop-Tarts? The fuck, you idiot. And it, it's the same thing with the the vaccine nuts. That they, oh, well, you got vaccinated, but you still got COVID. That's the idea, motherfuckers, to lessen the impact. You're still going to get it, but you're not going to go to the hospital or die, hopefully. And it'll help with the spread of the the virus spreading and continue to replicate and split off if less people have severe cases and more people have mild cases and blah, blah, blah. It's not a vaccine like for polio, which there's some people that don't want kids to be vaccinated against anything. And there's, there's some people that think God will take care of all the goddamn medical problems. We don't go to earthly doctors. That's why you go to earthly cemeteries, you fucking putzes. People are afraid of modern medicine and science. And this is... <laughs> go back to the goddamn Middle Ages or the Old West where they shit in the street and wallered around in it and drank the fucking piss water. See how you're doing. You didn't live long enough to fucking find out all the other diseases that existed back then. I think everybody ought to be vaccinated for everything to take care of themselves and other people. And goddamn, listen to people smarter than you are. Not some fucking dipshit that thinks that autism is caused by goddamn Fritos. Do you think she thinks the world is flat? Probably. And, and, and we can group those people in as well. Well, we've actually seen pictures from outer space now. And, and it, it's not flat. So thanks a lot. Thanks for coming. All right. I just, I, I just with this, the amount of, of accumulated knowledge that we now have in the world and the scientific advancements that have been made, and hopefully... The same thing won't happen in the Dark Ages as the religious fanatics will take over and burn all of the accumulated human, human knowledge that tries to get us out of the Dark Ages of believing in all these superstitions. If that doesn't happen again, then we're doing pretty good. But people don't want to fucking listen to it. Because it's too smart for them. I don't fucking know. If I had an autistic member of my family, I would come and uh, suggest to Lacey Evans in person that she rethink her shit because that ain't helping anybody. Well, hopefully someone does talk to her and explain that, but Jim, in a nice way, but Jim, let's uh, get out of yeah. here. Or whatever way they want. Let's get at least one song. Well, let's only get one song this week. We haven't had one in a while, and this is one of the people who has made the song contest what it is today. Jim, here's the latest one from Rocky the Ramon. All right. I 
turn on dynamite and fuck wouldn't you know we're back on tv in a match with jericho for comedy crap this is patient zero what the fuck <laughs> you get the credit for this silly stupid junk when it's on tv the ratings they really stunk and yes this match is a fuck you to see him pong what the fuck my eyes are blinking Wrestling. I can think of a number of things, yes. Shaving their balls. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> For the kind of people that like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like. Fuck you. How about that? Jim. That was a ding-dong doozy. Thank you, Rocky, for coming back in a big way. Comedy killed the wrestling star. That is one of the best songs he's ever submitted. I think <laughs> as soon as he hit the voice, I had a <laughs> smile on my face for the rest of the song. Great job. Well, with that, the drive-thru is closed. Of course, wow. you can- you're welcome. Of course, you can hear the Jim Cornette Experience wherever you find your favorite podcast. This weekend, next week, Omnibus Specials. Stay tuned to your podcast feed for the drive through and the experience for next week. Omnibus Specials. Of course, get access to the archive. Patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the archive going back to the beginning in 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. 
You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget about the Wrestling News at thewrestlingnews.com, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or on Twitter at Wrestling News AV. Of course, Cornette's collectibles at jimcornette.com. What are we supposed to say this week? Well, we are going to be closed down for January 1st through the 8th, but you can still order things to be delivered starting right after Christmas. The Lazy Booking t-shirts are not only brand new, but very popular this time of year. At jimcornette.com. Of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until next week, back here on the drive through and this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them Dork Order Bum Fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the Boogeyman, the Boogeyman, the Boogeyman. Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pierre. Everybody, Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.